episode 531 of Morelli Python Radio, and we're talking to Lucas Bagnara of Lab Exotics, and he's also from the podcast Retic Lounge. We will be talking about the ethics of keeping retics, reticulated pythons. I would argue are probably one of the prettiest pythons in the world. What do you think? They're gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I have one. I, I have one because, and she is absolutely stunning. Um, retics are one of those animals that um, they draw you in no matter what age they're at, whether they're, you know, small and bright and beautiful or when they just get big and they maintain that cool color, you know. Um, and I think everybody in herpticulture has a favorite morph or color retic. Even if they don't own retics, they still have a favorite morph or color. I would yeah. say that just a normal retic is 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 probably. I mean, the orange eyes. Sometimes mm-hmm. they have yellow heads. The iridescence. The pattern. The, pa- the, <laughs> the pattern where they got their name. <laughs> yeah, it's just amazing. Um, yeah. But uh, Lucas, he has the weekly podcast that focuses on putting good, solid info out on keeping your breeding reticulated pythons and everything that comes with it. Right. So he's trying mm-hmm. to do it in a. Well, both of those guys are trying to do it in a responsible way. Um, I think the problem is, is that big constrictors are a huge responsibility and it's important that people understand, you know, the actual level of commitment it takes to keep they, these snakes happy and healthy. They you know? really, really are. And, and you know, I this think, better than me at this point. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I have, I have several, what would be considered large constrictors, um, you know, as much as we don't want to think about it, all of pythons could very easily click into that little box of needing a lot of space um uh it's just it's one of those things that nobody really kind of prepares you for and a lot of people get the big burmese python the big retic the you know african rock python and they think it's going to be cool and then you know food bills space requirements um it can add up very big and and i'll tell you right now from experience Trying to get mites off of a 16 foot retic is just a hell I don't wish on anybody. So, oh, it, 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 oh god, <laughs> I can't imagine, like, dude, dude. The amount of those little <laughs> bastards that can hide under one scale of an animal that big is just right. daunting. But wow, it, it's 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 very much dog logic, you know, bigger the dog. Bigger the stuff you have to get it, the the more shit you have to deal with, the more things that you thought you'd never have to deal with. You know, I bet you you're allowed to keep food on your countertops. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I am not. It's like <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't think you have to. You have to worry about dogs going under the fence. I have to worry about them going over it. Like it's that's just <laughs> where you got to go. So when you have yeah. a big snake like a retic you have to worry about the space accommodation for it and then the problem is a lot of people tend to stop at half the length and it's like good enough it's like well is it because i would want to say that a lot more of the people that we see you know that have big snakes in these huge really nice enclosures i think they get more enjoyment out of it so 
Yeah, I think I think there's a mystique about a, a large mm. constrictor. I've been a fan of large constrictors ever since I was a kid. There's, you know, obviously Burmese pythons were more of what I was into, but mm-hmm. I, I guess at the time retics weren't even really a thing. It wasn't until later on that I remember my dad bringing in these wild caught mainland retics that were just Papa Burke, dude. <laughs> like, you know, I think I think you and your I think me and your dad would have gotten along much better. Like, it was just like, <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. He it's just like, stuff. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, your dad's like, let's bring in these wild caught mainland retics that just hate my guts and let's yeah. figure out what happens. Yeah. That's awesome. He, he did. Uh, I remember that, um, they got a pretty good size. And then I remember him saying that, uh, he's like, this is just too much. You know, (laughs) but that's, you know, that happens a lot with people. I mean, I had a Burmese python. I had an albino berm that was just a pet that she got to a point where I couldn't accommodate her. um, And I had to I had to move her on. And that always kind of stuck with me is that it's like I I outran my coverage when it came to that animal just because I, I I couldn't. I was right. not in yeah. a place where I could get her a bigger cage. I didn't have any place where I could set up a really large enclosure for her. And then somebody else who worked at a zoo um, and wanted to do educational programs offered to take her. And it's like, well, all right. And they set her up in like a 10 foot cage and stuff like that. So it worked better for her, but it almost seems like the mentality for large constrictors is play with it till it gets to a certain size and then mm-hmm. that's when you can sell it for the big bucks or you end up just shuffling it off to somebody else. And yeah, I don't know. And even back then it was a lot harder to, uh, it is, it is. To, <laughs> to, 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 you know, to, to send that on to somebody, if you will, you know, there wasn't, Delta Dash, wasn't a ton baby. of people that were, uh, were right, into, right. uh, snakes and stuff back then but uh, there's always there's always like one or two shows a year that you go to um where it just seems like there's a bunch of people selling large constrictors um i don't know if people calling it quits on a big constrictor project or collection but there's like one show a year where all of a sudden like there's like one or two tables that just have like the christmas tree chubs right bins with big constrict, like huge constrictors. Yeah, now that you're saying that, it's I'm I'm seeing that as I was yeah. walking around shows yeah. and stuff. It's just like yeah, well, and think- it ha- one or once or twice a year. It's like that's when people have decided they've had enough. I think that um, for sure they can be very rewarding captives. They can I be. I think that um, if you if you keep them correctly, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, I think that uh, definitely. Um, you know, they like I said, they can be super rewarding and 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 bring you because they're they're really kind of uh, you know you hear a lot of people talk about how they're um, intelligent. Um, they're smart and, as shit. Like my yes. my retic knows when I'm thawing food for everybody else, right. and she'll just kind of lay across her big shelf right to where the door is that I open up things, and she'll just uh-huh. lay there and. The the thing is with her is that she, I love her. She's never gotten into a point where she's caused like she bit me, mm-hmm. and I have taken her places to show her off as like um, educational kind of deals or like to my 
uh, nephew's birthday party or something like that. And she's never mm-hmm. had a big problem. Right. She scares the crap out of me just because of what she is and how big she is. It's yeah. like, I'll feed everything. And then it's like, all right, I need to take a break until I get my head space in order to go deal with her. <laughs> like, cause it, it's, it's almost not, like dealing with a venomous, but in right, a you, way. you cannot yeah. rush it. You have to do it proper. You have to open the cage. You have to present the food item. You have to let her wrap it. You have to put her back in. You have to close all the doors. You have to do all that. And it's just, if, if you, I feel like that making a mistake with her, with her would be bad. I think. Yeah. I mean, and I and like I've been bit by my adult olives and stuff like that, and that hurts. But I think her would be. I don't think I would enjoy that at all. <laughs> so no, yeah. no. I think yeah. I think that um, you know, I, I, well, I think that retics in particular have come under a lot, a lot of scrutiny over the past week or Tons. two because of the Sansom Pruitt. Ordeal. Yes, and uh, when we talk to Lucas, we'll get into that because uh, he uh, he was he was part of the group of people that uh, brought it to the light, if yeah. you will. Yeah. So uh, so there's so there's that, um, and I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> I just I I I I really it, it the retic lounge really kind of reminds me of um, NPR. Right, these guys are not necessarily. Um, you know, experts, uh, and, and they say that right from the gate, but, um, I think that their enthusiasm and dare I say passion for, for these animals sort of yeah. uh, puts them in a direction to where they can sort of put the information out there and talk to the people that, uh, similar to what we do with carpets, you know, or Morelia. Right, Lucas, welcome to Morelia Python radio. What's going on? Thanks so much for having me on. Totally. Um, so we like to kind of do a little bit of a quick intro, just kind of give people a feel about uh, you in general before we kind of get into the deep questions. Um, first one, always, what brought you into reptiles? What what kind of led you to us? Um, I mean, reptiles in general, um, probably like most people's story, started off as a kid. And um, I was just, uh, I was five years old and... Uh, I know a reason why I say five. It was because of a major move, uh, moving to another city. But um, walked into a pet store that was, this pet store had sharks and monkeys, and it's a really cool oh place. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I was just fascinated at the reptile section. And um, you know, I, I guess you know I can thank my parents for this, but my dad just kind of saw my eyes lit up, and every time we'd go to the pet store, I'd go straight over there. And then um, my birthday. Uh, or some gift, some some special time of the year. I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. um, uh, I got my first red rat snake, um, and that's kind of where it began. Unfortunately, that red rat snake got out somehow. Um, huh. I kind of play know. a joke. I, I play a joke on my brother. Uh, he was kind of going through a hippie phase at the time, and so I'm always blaming him. I'm like, you you took it out and just put it back into the wild. Like you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't stand to see it in a cage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from there it evolved, and I started keeping ball pythons. And then uh, I was like 14, 15, like a sophomore in high school, and uh, got multiple ball pythons with the intention of trying to breed. That was back in the day when like it wasn't frowned upon to breed a spider. So I had a spider and a pastel, and um, I was going to make bumblebees. Like I was super excited about that. Um, I mm-hmm. ended up getting a coastal carpet python when I was 16. Um, and uh, I ended up moving away to college um, 
to play baseball, couldn't keep animals or reptiles, uh, was busy all the time. And so I rehomed uh, quite a few of my animals. Mm. And then got back into okay. it in 2018 with three ticks, came back strong. <laughs> so, so what? What brought you to retick? Like, what was it? Was it a certain animal at a show? Was it uh, an online picture you kind of hung up and stared yeah. at longingly? I mean, yeah, I so, um, I was weird growing up, and okay. like, I was actually on forums when I was a kid, um, and actually looking <laughs> at the different pictures. I was le- learning about blood pythons, green tree pythons, carpet pythons, all these different things just while I was in high school, uh, and. The year that I graduated, uh, it was back in uh, – so in 2011, I came across a forum on snakes.com um, of a Honey Island reticulated python and read the post. They were talking about superdors and mm-hmm. the size of them. Mm-hmm. I had always loved the big snakes, right? Um, but it as I got older, I realized, like, yeah, oh, that's really big. But when I, I finally saw, like – Superdorf and people were talking about the smaller retics and everything. I dove into that for the next mm-hmm. several years until I first got my own um, and just like obsessively just like went into them. Uh, when I'm interested in a species, I become kind of obsessive about it, not in a bad way, but I want to learn everything I can. Uh, (laughs) yeah i did i did the same thing with green tree pythons like those are my favorite snakes i've wanted one for the longest time and i'm finally going to be getting my first one um and so um yeah so i had that reek tick obsession and and we're still going strong cool very cool so um kind of before we dip into the whole ethics things of that can you give us a little bit of a brief overview of where your collection sits now size of it and um your approach to keeping retics yeah so right now um i have less than 20 what i would consider sub-adults adults right like my definition of adult Mm -hmm. isn't just because of breeder size they're an adult so in reality in terms of like adult snakes i really only have two um but as far as breeding maturity goes uh, I probably have about like 10 to 12, but I have quite a few uh, animals that I'm growing up. So um, from my personal collection, um, I have 25 right now. Um, okay. they're, all, they're all in my garage. Um, and uh, I did a complete remodel. I insulated the walls. I have a mini split. I run all of my, my snakes, uh, my retics on ambient. I don't do gradient. Um and uh, it's on a humidifier and dehumidifier. Um, and so uh, I have a hatchling rack of hatchlings that, you know, I've hatched out that are for sale. But mm-hmm. uh, in terms of just how I keep, um, it's it's evolved. But where I'm at now is um, I have two eight-foot enclosures. I have two seven-foot enclosures, five foot, a bunch of five-foot enclosures, four-foot enclosures. Um, right now, I only have seven animals that are in racks and out of those seven four of them are are really are small animals uh Mm -hmm. like under a year old Mm -hmm. uh and i've kind of just been going through this phase of i like i have two racks in my garage in the corner um i'm just trying to phase them out uh Mm -hmm. and so 
that's kind of where I'm at. And to be honest, I've kind of hit a point where I know what future breedings are going to have in store for me with holdbacks. Mm-hmm. And so I'm already playing the the puzzle game in my mind of what's <laughs> what's staying, what what's gonna you know what's what's going out uh, because I'm I'm pretty much at the point where it's me every day, and then I have a a, a helper. He's in high school. Mm-hmm. He's supervised when he comes over. Just loves reptiles and loves retics, and he comes over and helps two to three times a week for a couple hours. Um, and I'm realizing just. Uh, I'm at a comfortable level where this is what I can manage if I didn't have anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so for me, growth right now is really not going to be uh, an option. Right. So are you focused in on a specific, with your projects, right? Your breeding projects. Is yeah. this like a specific, are you doing the like the, the dwarf locality into a certain morph is, uh, that you're going for? So my, my niche and like what I consider my specialty um, or what I have the most passion for, I would say it's locality reticulated pythons. So most of the people look at me and they're like, ah, lab exotics, that's a, a super dwarf breeder. Um, Mm -hmm. I have super dwarf islands and I work with crosses and, and ultimately my, my goal is to always make a more manageable size retic. Um, but I, I'm a locality guy at heart. I have eight localities. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where my passion lays. Now, I'm also working with a high-end ocelot project and uh, rennet ghost projects that uh, basically what my goal is for all of my projects is to just selectively breed those two different localities to -hmm. be able to pull out the best phenotypic expression of Mm -hmm. each of those morphs. And then once I have that nailed down, then start the shrinking process with taking it back into, you know, the Superdorf stuff. Um Superdorfs are great, but they, they can take away a lot of pattern and thick blacks and color and so it's a it's a dance to play. Really? I didn't I didn't I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Um so do you what have what has been your experience so far with that uh, so the ones that you have, the localities that you have that you would consider dwarfs or you know, what what size are you looking at? Yeah, so um, my largest locality right now, and probably the one that gets the heaviest, are my Slayers. Slayers are one of the like two original true quote unquote dwarfs um, mm-hmm. out there. There's Slayer and there's Jampea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right? And so Slayers are one of those true dwarfs now, um, and we'll get into all this later on. But um, my mm-hmm. my Slayer female right now is uh, probably about thirteen feet and seventy pounds. Um, okay. Probably maybe even a little bigger than 13 feet, um, but she's about 70 pounds, and um, depending on her day, she wants to kill me or she doesn't. Uh, she, she's an F. She's an F1 that's uh, 13 years old. What is it with those F1s? Man? It's always the F1s. F1s. Like I don't know why. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's almost like they were pulled from the wild. Oh wait. Yeah. So. It, yeah. <laughs> Um, my, my second largest locality I would say is the Mindanao or Southern Philippines, extremely rare locality here in the United States, especially because the Philippines banned, uh, being able to export them back in the eighties. Um, some, some illegal stuff happened that they were able to get them into Indonesia, um, like the main Island. Um, and then once they were there, you know, that's fair game to get them imported, but, uh, there's only a small group. And right now there's only 1.1 wild caught Mindanao Philippines left. So, 
Uh, they're going to be the same length as the Slayers, but they are a super lean uh, bodied retic from my yeah. observation and talking to people in the Philippines now. My, just to give you a reference, my Philippine right now, my female, she's an F1. Uh, she's five years old. She's about 11 feet, and she is the same girth or width as my uh, wild-caught Kalatoa that's about nine and a half feet. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Um, so super lean, um, still on the longer side, but because they they don't weigh a ton, I don't have to drag her around like I do my Slayer when I have to get her out and clean her. Um, uh, I have a Jampea as well that, you know, Jampeas are dwarfs, the second true dwarf that also go into that. Uh, you know, there have been some recorded pretty small jamps, but on average, I would say with Jampea, uh, you're going to end up in the you know, 11, 13 foot range, but there's been 16 foot Jampeas recorded. Um, mm. And right. it wasn't super uncommon back in the early 2000s with the Gaspar line Jamp that got pretty big. Uh, and then the next size down, I would have my Ternate or Ternate Islands. Um, that's a very heated debate on whether they are dwarf or not. Um, I hate those terms, by the way, and we'll talk more about that. But um, for everything that I've said as a dwarf so far, let's just talk and say medium-sized locality. Um, okay. Okay. And so Ternate Island is also a medium-sized locality, but the whole like debate of whether they are a dwarf or not is just because uh, the original two islands of Jampea and Salayer were have been called Dor for 20, 30 years now. Gotcha. Uh, and so now that Ternates are new, were, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, to just put the Dorf label when they weren't part of that group. But at the end of the day, they're a medium size. So um, I have a proven breeder right now um, that's four years old, who's only seven and a half feet. Um, I have another four-year-old that's not proven, that's about the same size. Um and I have a three and a half year old female that is about seven feet. Um, my male is four years old and he's about uh, eight feet now. Okay. Hmm. And, and just like forewarning for anyone listening, because uh, a lot of people, they'll make the assumption of, well, how do they feed? Um, I probably feed a lot heavier than most people that are breeding super dwarf dwarf or smaller medium localities. Um yeah, that's yeah. one of the things that I hear a lot that people underfeed them to sort of keep them in a smaller size. Small so, size, yeah. You know. Right. Yeah. There there's a lot of there's a lot that goes into it. Um cle- clearly when you're talking about insular dwarfism, right? Mm-hmm. You have to take into consideration the the uh sparsity of prey or if there's a lot, it's typically not large prey items because they're on a tiny island that broke away thousands mm-hmm. of years ago. And so um you know if you feed them how they eat in the wild, absolutely you're going to end up with a, a a smaller snake. But in captivity where they're not, you know, going weeks at a time without food or they're not eating smaller meals, people are feeding them pigs and rabbits and large, you know, mammoth, colossal-sized rats. Um, mm-hmm. you you got to expect right. that they're, they're going to get bigger. Yeah, uh, sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then I also have Kalatoa. I have Kayuati, which are considered, uh, you know, super doors. Those are going to be uh, adults, you know, from, uh, you know, 8 to 11 feet for females. Um, and those are like the, the super dwarf uh, localities there that, that I'm working with. So uh, I've produced a clutch of 
Kaiwadi and Kalatoa this year. I'm hoping to hit Salayer and Philippine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's just a little about the islands and their size range that I'm working with. I know cool. this is, wasn't on the questions, but it just popped into my head. I'm curious, like how does the clutch size for the medium size compare to the large size? They, are they still producing that huge amount of eggs? So that's actually that. Um, that's a good question. I'm happy that you asked that because a lot of people would think mm-hmm. the smaller the snake, that the the less eggs that they have, um, larger the snake, uh, more eggs. But because I've had the opportunity to either hatch these clutches or have I'm close with people that have hatched them from different islands. Um, it's weird because Ternate being a medium sized locality, they mm-hmm. lay eggs that are three to three fifty grams each. Um, okay. so, so Ternate clutches are very small on a, on a big clutch. You're talking about 12 to 15 eggs. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. but my wild caught Kalatoa that I have here, that's nine and a half feet pumped out 28 eggs. Okay. Yeah, and okay. they were they were on average about like ninety two, ninety two to ninety six grams an egg. Okay. Um, so, okay. So locality plays a, a very the female plays a very big big part in that. So I I, I don't I, I guess we'll just jump into this here because it sort yeah. of flows with what we're saying. But one of my frustrations when it comes to the whole uh, retic thing and they sort of paint the dwarf and the super dwarf as uh, the same size as a carpet python, right? Mm-hmm. So a carpet python, you're looking at, yes, I, I wonder sometimes does it have to do with A, that maybe the retic breeder that's speaking on this doesn't understand sort of the, the nuances of uh, carpet python size, similar to what you're saying about these different island localities and how they mm-hmm. can be different. They just look at a book and it says that, you know, coastal carpets will get you know, what do they say? 10 to 13 feet. Yeah. Right? I yeah. guess that's, yeah, that's true, but that's nothing that what we have in the States. So when you're comparing, you know, a super dwarf to a carpet, to me, that's not even, it's not even the same ballpark. And to sort of go off of what you just said, you're saying the eggs are 90, 96 grams. You said somewhere mm-hmm. in that area. Mm-hmm. C- carpets are what? 20. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's, yeah, it's more like a scrub Python to me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if yeah. anything, I consider scrub pythons and retics to be pretty similar. Um, I just, I consider like the the scrub python is just the more athletic version of yeah a, re- and, 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 a retic. And to yeah. be honest, I mean, if a retic is kept well, or you see a retic in the wild that's probably in its midlife, you know, looks very athletic and agile and can climb trees and do all that. But when you talk about like an adult, full grown mainland retic, they're 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 still lean, but they're big animals whereas mm-hmm. um whereas scrubs are definitely just they they stay just like they look ripped right they're like the the mm-hmm. bodybuilders of yeah of pythons. but yeah uh yeah no i don't man i've heard to be honest when when you said they compare them to carpets the first thing that popped in my head in terms of size right first thing that popped in my head is well at least it's not as bad as i've heard people comparing them to some large corn snakes um, really? So it's, it drives really? me crazy. <laughs> Look, but, but those are, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm broken. Good job. <laughs> so it's, um, but the, like a corn snake, a six foot corn snake doesn't look like it's a six foot corn snake. Like no. you have to stretch that thing out when it's dead. To, to, <laughs> like to be a six foot corn snake. Yeah. I mean, it, 
I guess no. this is where the ethics of keeping retics comes into play, right? Uh, because if you're selling retics and you're you gotta selling be honest, something. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 yeah. What's your it, thoughts? It, on my that? my thoughts on just size in general. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I think where a lot of people are coming from is if they're breeding their adult size, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and so so many people, I, I hear a lot of people say like, "Well, all you have to do is just ask like the size of the parents and the grandparents, right?" And it's like. You know, even if we're three generations in, grandparents are still, you know, 10 years old and, and parents could be, you know, four, sometimes even three and a half. And we're still not looking at an accurate, you know, length. But I mean, I've, yeah, I've seen a lot of carpets in person and I've seen a lot of super dorts in person and there's no comparison. Carpets right. are, are without a doubt smaller. And I think what people are just trying to grab onto is let's give people a visual representation of, you know, trying to get an idea of how small these retics can be. But the reality of it is that a pure superdorf like a Kalatoa or even like a Karampa, Karampa is supposedly the smallest locality out there. Um, even though I've seen just as many that are just as big as Kalatoa, but you're still looking at, um, you know, on the average size, at 10 years old, 8 to 10, 11 feet for some that get really big. Um, and I would definitely say that a 8-foot retic is a lot more snake than a, a you know, 6.5-foot, even a huge 7-foot carpet. Yes. Yeah, I would just yeah. think yeah. the strength of that animal alone, uh, you know, is just going to be it, completely the, different. And so is the build. Like... A ten foot carpet and a ten foot retic are going to be drastically different, right? Just because they're just going to be the body weight and just the size of a ten foot retic versus a like ten foot carpet from tip to tip is just going to not be. I mean, first of all, it's going to be fat, but it's like it. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to be healthy, but you know, it's yeah, it, it, it's going to be different. Now so. what I what I try to tell people is I say the 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 you know I say eight to ten feet right for a Kalatoa mm-hmm. female um, and that turns a lot of people off and don't get me wrong eight to ten feet um, especially mm-hmm. a retic who has a very strong food response um, you know it's it's not for everyone right it's not the mm-hmm. best pet snake out there anybody that mm-hmm. says yeah. retic's a great pet snake stop rewind take that back. <laughs> Um, but what I really try to tell people, like if you're set on having a retic, we have the hat, we have like this, this tendency to look at an animal and, and, uh, you know, let's say we're six feet, right? Oh, well, if it's Mm -hmm. bigger than me, that's really big. Um, but I'm not a big person. I'm like five. I give myself five eleven. I'm really like five, 10 and a half, but, um, (laughs) I can, I can hold an eight foot super dwarf in, in one hand that's stretching up to my forearm when it's coiled around, um, they're, they're eight, eight to 10 feet is still manageable. If you really want a retic. And of course you have the, the, the space to house one mm-hmm. properly. Right. Sure. And so right. I, I try not to, where I come from is I give that honest truth of size and expectations because I don't know why other breeders tend to undershoot the size, but I'd rather overshoot and prepare yeah. people rather than yeah. undershoot. And then, you know, everyone start talking crap about how I'm lying about my, the size of my animals and my, my quote unquote lineage and bloodlines. It, it, yeah. it almost feels like, it almost feels like the little glass bowl 
with the little fake palm tree that you get for your little red-eared slider. And it's like, don't worry, he won't need anything else ever. It's like, well, no, that's not true at all. Like, it's, yeah. It's funny you mention that because on the episode coming out this Friday, the part two history, we talk about, yeah. like, we, we there's a magazine, picture of a magazine of, like, uh, in a little ad saying you can own a little turtle and it, that's the house, right? The little, right. The little plastic yeah. thing. Like, it comes <laughs> a little plastic thing. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, but it's like, so, oh, yeah, see, buy this, buy the four foot cage and you will need anything, nothing else ever again. It's like, but that may not necessarily be true. And yeah, I'd I rather think, overshoot. Yeah. I think to your point, right? I think that like, so this was my experience when I was getting into scrubs, right? A lot of people were saying to me, like, they, it's not that they didn't want me to have the animal or didn't want me to, you know, not buy it or whatever. They're not trying to sell it, but it was, I, I it seemed like, you know, obviously they're not being produced like retics, right? So there wasn't that issue of, you know, trying to get rid of them because you have so many, there wasn't the more factor put into it. So there wasn't the overproduction because let's face it, Scrubs, for most part, people are starting to get it down now. But like, mm -hmm. I mean, this is what I had Scrubs in 2009. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're talking over 10 years ago and it was just completely different because they wanted to make sure that you understood what this animal was. I mean, the food response on a scrub, they're going for your face. I don't know if that's yeah. the same with the retake. I've only had, I was saying before we started, when I grew up, my dad had mainland retics which were wild caught that came in in the 80s which were just insane they weren't not friendly yeah. they weren't no. fun at all no, no their food responses are definitely intense but again i go back to just scrubs being that more agile and quicker you yeah. know it's mm -hmm. they're in your face just a little quicker right yeah yeah mm -hmm. and um you know, to your point, they were, it was it was more of the overshoot rather than the undershoot because, you know, you would take this animal home and you think and even sometimes, uh, you know, oh, and you've experienced the same thing probably where yep. and it's probably what you're saying with the, uh, the the one, the localities that you're working with. It's like you, you look at the cage and you're like, oh, that snake's not that big. Mm -hmm. kind of, it's curled up and you're like eh, it's not that big and then you start pulling it up you're like oh shit there's so eventually it'll here. stop yeah. it's a never ending <laughs> rope yeah, yeah. Like, what the hell? I had a, oh. my bread this week I went and moved her to a bigger cage and I'm like eventually she'll end I know she's like I know she has <laughs> right. a tail it's like yeah. pulling pulling the, the, the string out of a, mag a magician's hat right it's like exactly it, yeah it just it doesn't stop yeah mm -hmm. so Let's 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 back up because we could have jumped ahead. But like, what does you know? What 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 does keeping retics ethically mean to you? Like, what what is yeah. that? What is that? Yeah. So, um, you know, you made a comment and you mentioned how like you know people have been keeping scrubs two thousand nine, right? Uh, and yeah. people mm -hmm. are just finally starting to figure it out, right? Uh -huh. um, people have been keeping retics since the eighties, and we're just starting to figure it out. Jesus. Like right now. And, and what I mean by that is like if you go back historically and you look at how retics were kept, they came in nasty. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, back in the day, there was the entertainment. Like uh, you have to look at the zeitgeist in, of that era, right? And back mm -hmm. in the day, these snakes were used for entertainment and also for uh, breeding. People wanted to breed them, wanted mm -hmm. other people to buy them. And so what ended up working for breeders was just, uh, you know, it, it just so happened that what what – got people successful to breed retics was just keeping them in smaller enclosures mm -hmm. um, and uh, no UV lighting um, because, you know, snakes don't quote unquote need them. Um, and uh, they, they, 
there was this mindset for over a decade of if your retic is reproducing, it's healthy and happy. Right. And mm. what now we're starting to realize is um, some of the most neglectful keepers ever of retics and breeders have been prolific breeders. You could, yeah. their, their snakes can be literally, you know, this idea that like, you know, retics are, are easy to keep. They're not necessarily easy to keep. They just, they, they withstand neglect the longest. Um, right. And so now I, I thank a lot of my Patreon members all the time and a lot of the new people coming in because, um, you know, whether the marketing of the size of these animals was accurate or not, people are coming in because they're hearing about superdorfs and they're coming in from different industries and they're like, mm -hmm. yeah. they're like, I'm not going to keep a, a 12 foot retic in a five foot enclosure um, because they keep other animals that they right. provide UV lighting. Yeah. And so we're finally in the very beginning stages of providing more. And so ethical keeping especially when it comes to being a breeder and ethical breeding uh is number one um manage the size of your collection uh mm -hmm. i don't know anybody who long term successfully has been able to breed retics alone for a job right so this idea that you have to pump out x amount of animals to produce x amount of dollars so that you can feed your family it's it's mm -hmm. i mean name one person that's done it 10 years and, and is successful. And if you mention all the big names like prehistoric pets or nerd or they, they're doing more than just retics. Uh, right, right. They have, they have zoos. They have, they have social media that's bringing in probably most mm -hmm. of their income. Right. And so, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. because when a retic is grown, it's not the cute little hatchling that you plop out of a tub and you just dump out the substrate and you put it back in and snake goes mm -hmm. back in. Um, cleaning is an overhaul. Uh, they, they piss gallons. Um, and they're, they're, I don't even keep any big retakes, right? I just said my longest one's 13, 13 and a half feet and the crap of yeah. her is probably the size of my forearm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, it is. And so, <laughs> so the, the whole days of just like mass producing and, and, and having a bunch of animals that, that now to me is seen as unethical because you are not giving the level of care that you need to, unless you have like seven, mm -hmm. eight employees cleaning for you. Mm -hmm. Um, right. I, another part in terms of ethical breeding is um, you. we have to start getting them out of vision enclosures. Um, we're seeing more and more now that these snakes are semi-arboreal, very mm -hmm. active, uh, and keeping them in a six by three that's 18 inches tall is no longer um, for, for, you know, large size retics is, is not okay. And, and, you know, some people are – the people that are still doing it, um, you know, I, I, I'm not taking jabs at them because I know a lot of the people that are are starting to change their approach. They're, they're, mm -hmm. they're selling more animals uh, or they're, they're selling away some of the, the collection and their breeders. They're shrinking down the collection and they're increasing cage size because the biggest factor in keeping retics ethically is space, right? Yeah. And so yeah. – um, you know, it, it's important that they have a shelf or that they have a way to elevate and it's not just mm -hmm. sing you, it's not just a single dimension. Um, mm -hmm. and it's also a way to give them more, uh, area without having to go mm -hmm. with a massive enclosure. Um, right. right. And, uh, you know, 
I, I really believe that a huge part of ethics when it comes to us breeders, we have to stop just pairing to pair and overproducing. There are enough free ticks out there. They're being overproduced. And part of being an ethical breeder and keeper of these animals is if you plan to breed or you are breeding, you have to be hyper-focused, selective, intentional with your pairings and, uh, and, and don't just make the same thing that eight other people just made. And now there's 150 phantom motleys out there in the world. And what, what happens, what happens when there's 150 of the same gene animal? Uh, there's rarely 150 people that, that, want them and so now you start decreasing the price and now when you decrease the price that opens up a whole other conversation of ethics should retics be two hundred dollars right right um there's there's so much but in in reality it's staying away from obesity by providing more space to increase activity um if you have the means I would encourage you guys use UV lighting. Like why not? If you have the, if you have the means and ability to um, just experiment, I'm running an experiment right now that I'm, I'm posting results on the retic lounge and just in my mm-hmm. one animal that I'm doing it, I've noticed changes that now every new enclosure that I get, I have a, um, I have a mount installed to put a, a UV bulb on there. Um, has the observations been behavior, or has it been a, 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 the the look of the snake? Does it look healthier, or like what? Um, I mean, so or a mix of both. Mm. It, so to be honest, I didn't even consider like the looks. Of, so this is a young animal, um, and so in reality, the the ability to uh, have an obese retic at one years old is not likely. They'll turn all of it into length and growth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But really what we're what I'm measuring and what I'm observing is the the main behaviors that people kind of relate to retics, which is number one, inquisitiveness, number two, food response, and number three, defensiveness. Okay. Um so those are the three variables that have been observed. And uh uh I also just the fact that I see the snake under the bulb. Like yeah. mm-hmm. the bulb the bulb does not have any like the bulb there's a hide above where the bulb is, and then there's a shelf where the bulb is, and then it has a sky hide and two hides on the floor of the enclosure. If mm-hmm. that snake okay. didn't, if that snake didn't want to be out in the open getting the UV, it would be in a hide because that's what a snake at one years old does. It hides, mm-hmm. and she's out in the open um, just soaking up that those UVs. Now I don't know implications in terms of breeding and all that. I'll find out because I just got my Slayer female a new enclosure. Um, and I have a, a bulb in there installed, so we'll see when I give it a shot this year. I sort of bang the same drum for um, for carpet pythons, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly what you just said, right? Because you know I was keeping carpets in racks because, um, well, similar to back in the day, um, I was keeping them in cages, and I would provide shelves or perching or something like that, and they never used it. So I was sort of like, huh? Well, maybe maybe that's maybe that's not. Maybe they don't need that, right? So um, I fell into the trap of, you know, wanting to have it all, wanting to produce it all, that kind of thing, and you know, yeah. and more more animals in in a, in the same space to where I should have had less animals in a, in in the same space to where I could provide bigger cages. And I've seen, I don't know if people keep retics outside, other than I think Tom Crutchfield might, 
But um, you do see a lot of uh, carpet python people where they'll keep diamond pythons outside because they can withstand that stuff a little bit better. But you can definitely feel a difference in their their, their scales are different, right? They just feel mm-hmm. different, like they're tougher or something. And I, I don't know how to explain it. And to me, that, that there's something about, you know, out in the wild. You also look at, you know, the reason I brought up color, right, is because, um, you know, you, you have a brettles python that's out in the middle of the desert, and it'll come out, and you see these wild brettles, and they're, they're like, screaming red. Mm-hmm. But then the ones we have in captivity are dark and dull. But then, like, is that because they're missing something from that? You know, I don't know. Right. These are just things that, like, we could do it better. You know, it's like we sort of made it this far. Okay. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Everything's good. But, like, can't we take it another step? Isn't it, isn't it our responsibility of our generation to sort of, like, take it to the next step, right? So that the next generation can take it to the next step? Yeah, yeah, right. I don't know. It's sort of I mean, yeah. I, I love where you're going with that. And I, I couldn't agree more. And I'll, I'll be very forthcoming, too, because because I'm speaking very high and mighty in regards to ethics, but um, you know, I, I started keeping retakes very early in 2018, and even mm-hmm. just back in 2018, the mm-hmm. the the you know racks were so much more accepted, and um, mm-hmm. and so I did that, dude. I grew massively. 2018, I had one retake. Later in that year, I had two. By the end of 2020, I had six, and then literally from 2020 until now, with my hatchlings, I got fifty something. Yeah. Um, and so um, it's taken me to realize, like, whoa, right? Like, I don't have to make everything. Um, mm-hmm. And clearly, now that they're growing, um, I'm sure as hell not going to have a, enough time for what I originally right. had planned to right. do. Um, but, yeah, I think when it comes down to the, the ethics, kind of to summarize it, it's more of – you know, before when snakes were used for entertainment, they were used to breed and to be a source of income and money. Um, we have to change it and start putting it back on. It needs to be about the animal's well-being. Um, and if you're able to make a profit, great. Um, if you're able to break even, that's still phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we got to start, and we're starting to see the younger generate and what i mean by the younger generation of retail keepers it's not like age it's just like they are new, new people coming in right new yeah, people yeah. coming in to to retics. um they're turning the retic industry upside down i can't tell you how many people that uh most people see in in a great light in terms of being a breeder and these new people are coming in they're like are you kidding me they keep their their 13 14 foot snakes and six foot visions like and they're right. they're yeah. turning they're turning the shit upside down let me ask this question because mm-hmm. I've always thought that the pushing that you see in retics has mm-hmm. to do with the fact that they're trying to go up. Anytime I've ever handled, you know, a retic, it's like especially young ones, straight up, going yeah. up. they're trying to go up. Yeah. yeah, you know. So to your point, when you're just keeping that 18 inch cage, they're not able to do that. Is that what they're trying to do? I, I would imagine, in my experience with working with them much more active than all these other pythons that I've worked with. They're so active. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's not a time that I walk in my garage that I don't have half of my, my snakes and enclosures moving around. Um, so there's, there's a lot of reasons for, um, well, I wouldn't say there's a lot, but uh, there's, there's two mainstream reasons on why retics push. Number one is they're too hot. Um, okay. and, and and let me even just talk about that real quick. Like people yeah. historically have been keeping retics way too hot. 
These are snakes that for half of the year, the lows get into like the 63, 64, 65. And I I actually uh, did a podcast. I was a guest on another podcast on Saturday, and I I was making this point and pulled up the the weekly forecast for Kalatoa, one of the Superdorf Islands. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the the week high was 82. And so, again, just to emphasize the point that like the whole idea of like a 90... 90 degree hotspot like this is not a ball python. No. Um, so put uh, pushing one like the main reason is um, heat. They're they're way too hot and they don't have an area to cool down. Number two mm-hmm. is um, they're hungry and you're not feeding them enough. You're underfeeding uh, or okay. um, yeah. So the other reason is for food related reasons. Now. Retics have a high level of intelligence, and intelligence is kind of a, a loaded word when it comes to reptiles and how we measure that and all that. But what mm-hmm. I can tell you in terms of intelligence is that they are very, very quick to learn. Um, they You can basically apply behavioralism to a retic, and they catch on really quickly. Um, for example, mm-hmm. if you want to teach it that it's time to eat, and so you knock on the cage five times on the side – um, they eventually, that five knocks on the side of the cage, they're boom. Anything that walks by the front glass, they're going to slam thinking it's food. Um, gotcha. They're, they're very, they, they can be habituated very, very well. And so if you are someone who feeds your retic every seven days religiously um, and uh, you decide that uh, I'm going to start doing random feedings, that, that snake is expecting that f- it might not need the calories. It might not be hungry, but because it's been, uh, conditioned to be fed uh you'll see it moving around and pacing and then if you don't feed it that evolves into pushing Um, okay now to speak on your point in terms of not giving them enough room to move or enough height um Mm. one of our patreon members um has a retic that has a chronic pushing issue right now and i've talked to this person on the phone uh, everybody on the Discord has been trying to give them every little bit of tips and advice. Um, we have an episode out about pushing where I've had dozens of people like, hey, that's not my retics pushing. And I'm like, great. Mm. It's not working for this guy. And I started getting more information. And this is not fact, right? This is just my observation of the right. whole situation and what I'm observing. But um, he would let his snake out during cleanings, roam around, it liked to get into one of his dressers. It would move around, and he would let it stay out for three to four hours. Ah, okay. And and now mm-hmm. the snake, when it goes back into the enclosure, I've I've talked to him up and down, and I he he probably hates me because every time he asks me again, "Hey, what can I do?" I'm like, I ask him every time, "What are your temps? Right? What <laughs> size? What size meal are you feeding it? Mm-hmm. And every, everything according to him." He has sent me screenshots of his temp guns. Right. Everything is on point. And so okay. to me, it seems like this snake got a taste of freedom. And, and it's just like, it, yeah. And yeah, just get get me the hell out of this box. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, one thing that people don't realize about pushing is that, um, so it retakes because of that, into, you know, the, the intelligence that they have. Um, I had a snake that developed... Uh, so retics can develop like OCD, like pushing basically mm-hmm. to the sense that like if part of your husbandry feeding or temperatures were off and it started pushing and you didn't correct it soon enough, um, 
you can correct all the issues, but they will still have this obsession to keep pushing, pushing, um, even though everything is absolutely perfect. And so, um, that happened to my very first retake I got. Um, and what I ended up having to do to reset it was, uh, she wasn't big at the time. So it's not like I was abusing her by doing this, but I, I ended up having to put her back into a three foot hefty, uh, tub for like mm-hmm. six to eight months for her to finally not be able to have anywhere to push. Right. And then mm-hmm. I put her back into a different enclosure uh, and the pushing stopped. Hmm. Okay. So it's kind of like a reset kind of. It's right. so weird. It, it's so pushing it. Pushing is complex. Um, but yeah, I, I'm even starting to learn and observe more based on others experiences that, you know, space can absolutely be a reason to, um, push and i don't know if you guys have ever seen images of like really nasty like retakes that are split in their face because they're pushing yeah yeah Yeah. if retakes are able to push with that much force it's because they have too much leverage and not enough space to spread out their body they're confined in a small area and can put every pound of muscle they have into pushing on that area the more the more width and the more length that they have the less power they're able to force on what they're pushing because they don't have the the walls of the side of the enclosure to use as as leverage so um you know some people will say try a smaller enclosure right retics like small Mm. spaces that's like an old 2000s type of retics like to be in small spaces um (laughs) cram them so yeah yeah typically with with pushing it's like you know try a bigger enclosure try a smaller enclosure um your temps but, but yeah um Pushing is definitely a, a a fun piece of keeping retics. Yeah, I didn't even think mm. about the temp part of it because similar that happened. Um, wow, what would you say? Oh, in two thousand seven, carpet pythons and Morelia sort of made that shift to where we used to keep them in the typical python, where yeah. you know ninety degree hot spot, you know eighty five degree ambient, and that's just way too too hot. It's you know? too hot. Yeah. And then to your point, you know a lot of this stuff really connected in my brain when I started seeing them in the wild. When you see them in the wild, you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any, this isn't anything like what I thought, right? You're talking about it's 80 degrees, uh, you know, where these retics would be, 82, but then they're underneath the canopy, you know, mm-hmm. of, right. and it's, it's it can, yeah. these micro habitats that they are in can really be different than, than what we think. A lot of yeah. time. So we, we were point. gauging it with like uh, it's 110 in Darwin. It's like, well, yeah, but the <laughs> yeah. snake isn't out there. Like it's yeah. not it's not sitting out at 110 degrees. Right. It pokes its head out and then it goes and hides in a 70 degree cave. Well, like that's right. uh, yeah, yeah. To, to Owen's point, right? Another thing with retics is there are a lot that you find. Well, not in, in some. A lot of times when you see wild retics, they always seem to be in caves trying to kill bats. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but. I remember when to, uh, we're in Darwin, it's 110 degrees outside. You go in a cave, it's like 70 degrees. Mm-hmm. So right. Drastically it, it's, cooler and it's humid yes. and moist. Yes. And yeah. and, that, and that's exactly what retics like. And so um, a really big testament is when I was keeping on gradient earlier in my keeping, um, mm-hmm. I was keeping on a gradient and they were inside my house. And my, my I, I would, you know, I'd have the inside of my house. I I'd never was like, you know, we, when my collection started growing, I had my, my daughter. Or, and uh, I was like, I'm not changing the temperature of the house for these snakes. I got a daughter who needs to sleep in peace, okay? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so 
I would have the the house between 72, 74, and I would put the hot side at like 88 um, and uh, at least one time for every one of my retakes, they would run into pushing. Um, and uh, I, I then was like, you know what? Let me go ahead and drop the hot spot to 86. And then I provided like an oiled filled radiant heater to like bump it up to just consistently for the room they were in to be at 75, 76. Mm-hmm. That kind of reduced it a little, but some retics were still mm-hmm. not liking it. Ever since I've moved my snakes in my garage, and I kind of, like, I call it the lab because lab exotics, but also in my mind, it's like Mission Indonesia. What I try to do with my humidifier, dehumidifier, and my mini split that I have going, I try to replicate Indonesian humidity and temperature ranges throughout the day, right? Okay. Um, and ever since I've moved them into the garage and I'm doing that, like, I... I rarely see pushing. And then when I see pushing, I'm like, why the hell are you pushing? And I go back to my feeding notes and I'm like, shit, I haven't fed you in three weeks. That's why. <laughs> That's why. Right? Yeah. So, so yeah. that, so, um, temperatures are really big factor. And I, I, the switch over to ambient has massively just like almost, I don't want to say eliminated because I still see it from time to time, but, mm-hmm. um, in terms of like overheating doesn't happen. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Just a quick question with the ambient. When when you go tonight, are you turning the heat off completely or are you letting that just drop down to a certain like temp? umbrella, like a safety net? I'm sorry. Yeah. So really it depends depends at the uh time of the year. So like right now, San Antonio, Texas is going through a heat wave. So if I turn my if I turn my mini split off overnight, um, hmm. The temperature still creep up in my garage to eighty four and a half degrees. Oh, that's right. You got it. Oh. Yeah, right. Because yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, gotcha. Yeah, it's so hot out. So really, what I try to do is um, during the really really hot times of the year, I almost do like a reverse cycling, where mm-hmm. um, where during the day I'll turn the AC on to be cooler, and during mm-hmm. the night it'll be hotter. But then for the winter, it's kind of the opposite. Um, but ultimately, my range is seventy nine degrees to eighty four degrees. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I'm, and I and I I'm even flirting with the idea of just year round going lower. Like yeah. I don't I don't know yeah. why not. Um, and especially now because I'm going to be getting a green tree python and keeping it ambient. Um, I, I'm going to yeah. want to have that green tree python at 78, 77 at night if it's going to get to eighty two, eighty three during yeah. the day. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They're another they're another example of Moralia that was kept too hot. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's way too hot. Uh, my roughies are Man, dipping down right now. <laughs> yeah, their 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 computer systems just clicked over, so they're gonna they're dropping right now. They're eighty two, and then it's just going to go straight down until it hits like seventy six. Yeah. So yeah. So my my sensors, when you look at them from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, it's basically just you know it's it's a mountain gotcha. right? Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, I love it. Awesome. Awesome. That's how it should be. It's you know, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, not not bake the hell out of it. Yeah, right. Well, especially if you're going to keep, you know, I, I think the whole, I don't know, I, maybe this is as I'm getting older or whatever. But my idea mm-hmm. of like keeping is sort of going back to like when I was a kid, and I would just stare at the the snake in the tank, and just be amazed at it, it moving around the tank, and I want to see it do things and you know, see what it, what it's supposed to be doing. And to me, that's sort of like where I'm trying to get back to, you know, to, 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 to have a smaller collection and be able mm-hmm. to sort of have, I call it herping in my snake room. Right. right. Cause I, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. 
and uh, you know, it's it's like my own little piece of Australia, sort of like you know, you have Indonesia, I have Australia, and it's just like I just want to go there and just you know be able to see what my snakes are do what they would do in the wild as much as I could recreate that in a box. Yeah. I, I literally got goosebumps listening to you uh, say that just because of the idea of, you know, I, I started off and, and grew very quickly and now I'm at the point where I'm like no more new ones, even thinking about, you know, reducing the collection. And, um, you know, when people ask me like, why localities, right? Why, why is like locality retix your thing? And I always tell people, it's like bringing a piece of the wild into your home. Mm-hmm. And so what yeah. you just, what you just said, just hit the nail on the head. And so, um, I, I have a vision for like the future. So my wife and I do plan uh, three, four years down the road. We're going to get a piece of the land of property mm-hmm. um, and uh, have our house on there. And I'm going to have a 2,400 square foot building. Um, and what what I would like to do is in that building, I'm going to have one huge, massive walk-in that I'm going to rotate animals into, right? Oh, um, mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, but then I'm also going to just keep a lot larger enclosures, but do a lot more naturalistic setups with having, you know, the phone to make caves and stuff like that. And mm-hmm, ultimately, sure. as as a keeper and breeder of where I would like to be at, at that point, is I would like them to have, like, I want to be able to observe that. Like you said, like being a kid just up at the glass, like at the zoo, watching the mm-hmm. animals. Um, I want to do that, but from a breeder standpoint is... It would be so nice if at one point, because again, these these snakes aren't my income. I have I have my own job. I'm a therapist. I do that as a living. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong; the extra money on the side is great. Um, sure. mm-hmm. But uh, like, I, I would like if I had things nailed down or could learn how to nail them down to where every clutch I did produce was maternally incubated. Like that's my end goal. Mm. He's <laughs> talking my language, Owen. <laughs> that's yeah. that's that's yeah. the end goal. Is that I can have a, I can have the ambient temperatures. I could have the naturalistic style enclosure, and I'm not talking about full bioactive, right? Um, but yeah. because for larger constrictors, it's hard. It's hard to do. But um, right. But to to implement like rock in in cave like structures with using foam or using universal rocks or whatever the case may be and uh, mm-hmm. you know having a good enough um substrate dam in each enclosure to where you can build caves within the substrate and they can go into sure. to breed and yeah that that's where i i mean to be honest the less i gotta do the better so if you want to yeah. sit yeah. on those yeah. eggs <laughs> if you want to sit on those eggs go for it i'll let you there's yeah. the, you know, I, I've i been preaching maternal incubation since I started. The very first python I bred, I did maternal incubation. And me That's and Owen awesome. have gone back and forth over the years. And he finally did it once. But he was he's a he's an artificial incubator guy. And, you know, that's fine, whatever. But to me, there's just something about going in and seeing the mom around the coils of these eggs. And then there's little tiny heads just pipped out. And she oh, sort I of like releases the coils. I, and I don't know, man. It's just, it's it so is, cool. It is and cool. I, I don't know why I chose my meanest carpet python to material incubate. <laughs> like that may have been a step in the wrong direction to try to get me to do it again. So right. yeah. yeah, I want to, I want to even take it a step further. Like I want to have a camera. I want to notice at what time of the days they loosen the coils. They leave the eggs, yeah. they mm-hmm. get back on the eggs. I want to open up the enclosure and tempt the snake, tempt the eggs. Um, you know, that I, was I just, awesome. I, I want yeah. to be able to, um, I, I guess like I got so caught up in the hype of being a breeder. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And now that I'm seeing that like everyone and their mom wants to do it and there's, there's really no way. Like I originally was like, 
okay, I want to do full-time snake breeding and part-time being a therapist, mm-hmm. but I can't tell you how far away from that I, I, I'm at where I'm at right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, I want to get back to just like observing, recording data, enjoying, and loving every step of the process. Yeah, man. It, it's, it is cool to watch them like because I, I was under the impression that she would be like fragile or the, like they, they would be like, I don't want to disturb them. But like I, every morning I'd come in, she'd be off the eggs and I'd be able to check her out and what's going on. And then I even got to feed her a couple times. And then every night right before I was turning the lights off, she'd be off the eggs again, just getting that final little heat before the panel change over. And then she would just go on to those eggs. She'd be on them all night. So That's it was so really sweet. cool to observe that kind of stuff. Yeah, my observations were, you know, it's sort of like, you know, you would see the mom actually like kind of scoop the eggs up and she would move them over, right? Mm. Closer to mm-hmm. the hot spot or move them away. Um, I've seen it to where she's gone into her water bowl and then she came back and wrapped the eggs and sort of tucked her head into the coils to where I, my thinking was is that she's trying to control the humidity uh, you know, within those eggs. Um, right. I've seen it to where, you know, again, just like to Owen's point, they leave, they pass, they come back. They, you know, it's, it's just really cool. You know, again, it's like, it's, a, you know, if you, if you go herping at all, you, these are things that you don't necessarily get to see. It, it would be a rarity to be able to stumble upon a, a wild python, you know, incubating eggs and seeing what they do. Yeah. And now you have like that little, you have your own little snapshot of nature right, right. there that you can just peek into at any point. Right. You know, that's just, it's awesome. And that, that's, that's what I love about, you know, the, the Morelia side of things. It's, it's manageability and being able to actually provide naturalistic setups in a manageable way. Um, yeah. And why I finally was like, you know what? I'm taking the dive into getting a green tree python because I've wanted one for so long. And back in the day, I didn't want one because it was all the, the uh, import information about they're difficult to keep and blah, 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 and this and that. And, and, you know, I'm not opposed of, of even down the road trying to, to, you know, establish and keep an import and everything like that. But I finally was like, if I can step into my garage and, and at least one snake a day want me dead, I can deal with a green mm. tree python. <laughs> like it's not, yeah, that big of a, yeah. it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, right. And what I like about it is, is that, you know, um, for the carpets and for the, the green trees, it's, um, it was very eye-opening to me. Me and Bill have talked over the last couple of years. I got to meet him, got to go to his place for the Arlington show. And, um, dude, the first thing that popped into my mind when I walked into his snake little house in the back mm-hmm. was <laughs> like, was like, holy shit, could you imagine how many green tree pythons I would have right now if I didn't have <laughs> yeah. eight-foot retic enclosures? <laughs> yeah. Like that, I was yeah. like, are you kidding? So like the, the, the just the, the uh, I, I don't know. I mean, just realistically being able to provide more for certain species because of manageability of size is like, it just seems yeah. very nice right now. That's why I moved away from, I, 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 you know, Owen will tell you, like when I came into this, I was a large constrictor person and um, I've moved away from that because of that Good reason. It's just like, I, I just, <laughs> I, I love them. I, I, I think retics are probably one of the prettiest pythons around, but like, I just don't have the capability to yeah. house it the way I would want to, you yeah. know, and to me, I, I, I can, 
I don't know. I just can't. I can't do that anymore. I no. So. I, I I'm right there with you. Um, I would say I keep my my snakes in enclosures larger than probably most breeders do, but I am still very unfulfilled in that aspect. Um, yeah. And like I said, that's where the future holds, and and that 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 you know building that I want to do, and uh, um, being able to provide more for less is really just what I'm gearing towards. Very cool. What is your thoughts with the Morse with retics? Do you think that the you know like I I always get this impression that like the retic world was trying to be the next ball python of the world and like trying to take over and it's already uh, there. Yeah, <laughs> it, that already, train has already sailed. Got already, it. Okay, it's and I think there. like I, I think like I see a lot of people. Right, it's 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 way different to produce a clutch of ball pythons to trying to hit the odds to produce the the world's first type of thing to you know, thing of retail. What's your thoughts on that? That's a long numbers, dude. Like you know, when you have four hundred eggs, yeah. All right. Um, so so I mean. <laughs> All right, so um, I, I and we spoke before this started, but in terms of that episode coming out, um, you know, talking about the 1970s to 2014s, the world's first era, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, world's first, world's first. I mean, you hear it left and right with retics, um, and uh, it's we're we're slowly but surely kind of closing that chapter of history with retics, um, but. The only reason why it was never to the level of ball pythons with World's First was because we stopped importation and we couldn't get new cool shit. So yeah, that that's that. So we kind of are handcuffed in terms of having five thousand morphs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I actually think that's really cool about the ball python community, um, some of the breeders in the ball python community actually are very smart people and understand genetics okay. and understand mm-hmm. polygenic traits. And what they were able to do is they found a visual trait that might not necessarily be a recessive or a codom, so to say, but they, they studied and were able to find out how to reproduce this trait. And then they decided to name it a morph, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the retic industry loves to just stack on, you know, Motley, Motley Phantom, Sunfire, Tiger, uh, Poshet, OGS, like, I mean, it's just name stacking. It's like if a snake looks a certain way and it, you can produce that time and time again with those two or three morphs every single time, it's not a new name. They just, mm-hmm. they continue yeah. to call it the two, three name. But um, yeah, I it's it's a dangerous game to play with the world's first when it comes to retics because number one, um, the world's first game is, I'm going to like throw the Super Dwarf and Dwarf out of the equation right now because that was mainly a mainland thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now there's the whole separate, you know, race to make the, the U S first super dwarf X morph. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm even guilty on that as well. Like I have an ocelot, one of the most sought after morphs in all of retix and you better freaking believe I'm trying to produce some super dwarf ocelots like ASAP. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. right. Uh, but, um, when you have a world's first race in mainlands, you have a lot of eggs and you have a mm-hmm. lot of retics and you don't have a lot of good homes for these animals and it right. creates mm-hmm. a, a problem. And I think the biggest downfall of the mainland community, because if we're being honest, mainlands hit like a glory phase. And then all of a sudden over the last six years or so, 
world's first aren't selling for ten, fifteen thousand dollars anymore. People are begging mm-hmm. people to buy these animals. I even know one mm-hmm. person on my Patreon who got a world's first combo for the price of a pure superdorf. And that's because mm-hmm. the, the the that breeder was just like, I need to get rid of these animals, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. the the mainland world's first craze has crashed. And uh what that's leading to is people are um, dropping prices drastically, which again, we talked about earlier, not good for people wanting to, you know, you don't ever want to sell retic cheap because it ends up in the hand of an impulse buyer that gets neglected and rehomed. And, you know, mm-hmm. retics are probably, if not the number one, at least in the top three, most rehomed or, or adoption type of, you know, process. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, that's not okay for a large constrictor. Um, but then there comes the other side and the ugly side, or the side that people don't want to talk about is like, what do you do when you have a clutch of 70 eggs and you're trying to hit on the odds? And, you know, maybe four of those 70 eggs is what you wanted, but the rest of those eggs are uh, pos heads. <laughs> Or, you know, normal pos heads or just like individual like tiger pos heads for mainland, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. We haven't gotten there in the Superdorf craze because there's still such a high demand. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, now you start to open up like, you know, culling or mm-hmm. freezing right. or right. or feeding off to monitors or um, wholesaling off to a whole buyer. And... Um, not knowing what's going to happen with the animals that you just, you know, you, you, you are the reason why they are living. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so my thoughts and opinions on that, um, I will never personally intentionally call animals, um, to, uh, be because of an overproduction or because of low valued animals. Um, right. I, I know enough people now, especially with my Patreon, where I know some really good homes for people that would buy animals at a low price, or I could even give mm-hmm. it to them and give them a good home. But number two, I don't own monitors, at least right mm-hmm. now. And I probably don't plan to own large monitors because uh, I love them. But if we're being honest, they're way too much time. Um, yeah. yeah. I, my, yeah. My, my, dogs, yeah. my dogs are enough. If I don't want a lizard trying to kill me, I got to spend three times. <laughs> yeah. Why, yeah. Why am I doing that? Yeah. Right. Um, so uh, I don't have a monitor to feed them to. Um, but even if I did, so I can understand the, I can understand, I can empathize, and I can see the reason why people are saying that if I produce clutches and, and if they own a monitor, Right. Mm-hmm. And they, they, you know, understanding that their plan is like, I'm going for this. And, you know, anything that has the potential to be a low value animal that is going to possibly end up in bad hands, it's better to turn into food for the animals that I have. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can, I can see it. And, Again, it's not something that I would do, but at the same time, I have seen what neglected and abused retics look like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's it's not okay. And at the same time, um, he, here's 
where I always, when people feel very strongly and like very up in arms of like, how dare you do this? And which is a valid argument, by the way. Right. Um, because to, to try to tell people to remove emotion from an emotionally charged situation is unrealistic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I asked them this. If you can provide me an answer that tells me that why this is bad, but yet it's done in rabbits and horses and livestock and just yeah. about every other breeding of every other animal yeah. that's out there, if you can give me a a factual reason on why it's not okay, like I'll hear out that argument and, and then we'll push for the greater community to change, right? Um, right. But at the end of the day... Um, I think about it in in the terms of like, you can breed the animals yourself knowing ahead of time that you are going to have monitor food that's probably one of the best dietary sources that a large monitor can eat. You know mm-hmm. what you know what that snake is eating. You know what the babies are being re, uh, are are. You, you have everything right. The diet of the parents, the baby, um, and you're able to feed your animals right. Um, versus possibly having that animal rehome neglected um you know you you can give it an opportunity but um i've listened to your guys' podcast for a long time mm-hmm. and i know both of your beliefs on retics and retic keepers and breeders and how to keep retics and <laughs> let me ask you this would you say yep. that would you say that retics are generally kept very ethically and well or would you say they're neglected most of the time Neglecting most of the time. I'm sorry. Did I answer yes. too quickly? <laughs> okay. So so that's that's my only argument on why it's okay if a breeder can do that. But yeah, I see it. It's not something that I have the heart to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'd have a problem with it too. I don't think I'd be able to get over that home. But that's this is sort of why I got out of Jaguar carpets, is that yeah. same reason, right? You know, it's like I personally had a problem with having to put animals down because they were too neurological jacked up and then i thought right. why am i even doing this like mm-hmm. what like what? i mean carpet pythons to me from my opinion are like you know i i love the looks of them i love the different phenotypes that you're going to get from a clutch and like why do i need this special gene that's all jacked up and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it oh when he breeds jags and i have no problem with people to do it mm-hmm. but for me personally it's just like I, I'm I'm at this dilemma to where it's like, uh, you know, uh, do I do this? Do I not do this? And then, you know, another part of it was, and you can relate to this, no imports are coming in. You're mixing, you know, uh, these localities and you're mixing the morphs. And like at one point I was doing that and I sort of thought to myself, ah, oh, you know, these won't be misrepresented and these right. won't become, you know, a, a normal or a locality because the next person is going to be just as ethical as me. Well, that's just not true, you know. It's it's wishful uh, thinking, right? Yeah. Like we can <laughs> yeah, hope sure. that. Sure. Yeah, 100%. But uh, I just don't think that that's, that's reality. So I had to make a decision. Do I, do I continue to, to do this or do I not? You know, I thought about throwing away half the clutch of eggs. Like, okay, I'm just going to mm-hmm. roll the – I'm already rolling the right. dice with the, with the odds. I'd rather throw the eggs away. 
then right. throw the, the animal but you'd away. get all the jags and have thrown away all the non-jags <laughs> right yeah. You're, yeah. you're taking the gamble yeah. of it you know yeah, yeah that's just that's like, a whole other different discussion because that that's popped up in recent you know uh retic talk as well um i i i'm kind of like a co-opener of a retic group on facebook the retic alliance and the group is really aimed for kind of ethical keeping and also to have these difficult discussions without it getting out of hand and 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 uh yeah. Uh, and it, it, that's that's a hot topic, and a lot of people are like, "Well, just throw away eggs," but then you're also throwing away odds at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, it's 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 difficult, and um, I, I and that's where I go back to ethical breeding and keeping in terms of like we need to stop overproducing. If we stop overproducing, this conversation that we're having is going to be much less and less and less relevant, um, and. Also, I just find it a little comical that the issues with Jaguar carpets, uh, you know, mm-hmm. neurological issues is also the Jaguar morph and retics that have neurological <laughs> issues. Yeah, you know? yo. At least yeah. they made it easy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We should we yeah, should I always think, we should have changed Spider's name and then it would just been yeah, Jag just across jag, the board. Yeah. If it's a Jag, it's horrible. Got exactly. it. I think, so. I think for me, to, to to sort of what you were saying, it just it popped into my head one of the questions that I had for myself, right? Is this is this about money or is this about the animal, right? Mm. If it's right. about the animal, then I should have no problem throwing away these eggs and sort of dealing with whatever odds that, you know, are, are thrown my way. But if right, it's right. not about that and it's really about like, you know, oh, I made this investment in this animal. I want to sort of return in that first, investment. Right? Yeah. Or I, I want to be that guy that has his name yeah. in the book when right. they write that book. Yeah. <laughs> right. And other people write that book. Yeah. So it is it yeah. is it ego? Is it is it's probably a lot of those things. And like I guess you have to just decide for yourself like what, you know, I think yeah, it's 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 there's a lot of questions there. You know? Right. Yeah. You want you want to know it's a funny point. Mm. Um, and I, I caught myself early in this, like early in the keeping and the breeding phase of like what I wanted and what I wanted to get to. Um, but you want like we we talk about like in terms of like you know Lacey Act and and uh, uh, you know our rights to keep these animals, which is very big for large constrictor keepers, right? It's always at sure. risk. Yes. Um, yes. And. Um, you know, we talk about how small our community is and how we need to go out and educate and how we need to do this because we're such a tiny percentage of, of the population. But so many people are trying to reach this like fame of yeah. like this tiny, insignificant level of people in the world. It's like, it, it's funny. Um, it, yeah. It's quite, it's, it's comical that like we're, you know, a lot of us are chasing this idea of like, I want to be the biggest of the biggest in this industry. That's literally nothing. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, it's, um, it's, it's a funny concept that just kind of snapped in my mind, but, um, a hundred percent. You, yeah, you could be the best retic carpet breeder, whatever. Half the, like most people aren't going to know who the hell you are. Like it's no. just weird how it goes. No, I mean, us in the retic world won't know who you are. <laughs> exactly. You won't even know what yeah. like, like I'm the greatest turtle breeder around. Who the hell are you? Like, right? yeah, it's so, uh, yeah. You know, another thing that pops into, you know, I get a lot of shit because I haven't bred in how, how many years has it been? I, I do well, get I the, had one we, clutch. The, we get complaints. I'm so just saying there's a lot of it's the, been, you it's know. It's been two years. I've, t- I've taken two years off. Yes. And, yeah. That's um, a good reset. I think the reason is, is because if I'm being honest, I, I follow, I mean, it's nowhere near 
what retics or ball pythons are on morph market, but you're looking at, you know, what, I don't know, 400 carpets. And if the same 400 carpets are still on that page over and over and over again, uh-huh. do I need to produce more? Right. Like, I, and, and I guess it goes back to that ego thing, right? It's like, why do I want to do I, Yeah, it would be nice to pay for the, the food or whatever, but similar to you, I sort of came to the realization that I do not want to sell snakes for a living. I thought I did in the very beginning. I thought it would be awesome. I thought it would be great. But no, I, I don't, I don't want to have to because I think this is where the problem comes into play because mm-hmm. you have people that have to put food on their table and feed their families and it becomes like, okay, if I don't do this, then we don't eat. The bills right, yeah. don't get paid. The mortgage right, yeah. doesn't get paid. You know, Lights go off, whatever it would right. be. And it, it really makes it tough. And um, when you do that, being a large constrictor breeder... Yeah, dear God, it's 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 a mess. It, it's right. it's a lot of life being brought in that doesn't necessarily need to be brought in. I mean, the fact that you say four hundred, right? Um, and I know that mm. that might have been a number that you just threw up, but um, like that that would be great if that was all that was on morph market for pizza. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, but yeah, that, that number, but also that's it fluctuates just between like three something and four hundred. But at but the, that's the just morph market, like. How many? Oh, there's so much like, more. Exactly. Like how many? You go into the Python portion of Fauna Classified. It's majority retic. Yeah. And other things like that. So it. Yeah. There, there is a massive overproduction, and um, uh, I think a lot of recent light um, with some mm. of the information that has been. Uh, out there in regards to the Slither file, Santa Pruitt has yep. actually, yep. has actually, um, again, that, that, uh, the retake Alliance page, there is a post about, you know, how seeing all of this and seeing morph market and where everything's at on like, if, if, you know, the, the question was, is anybody rethinking their breed? And so many, I was actually pleasantly surprised to see so many people saying that they, we're going to just try to focus on two to three, four clutches. Um, that, that, that's really, um, because those, those people saying two, three, four clutches are the same people that are also capable of doing 10 clutches, right? Right. Like, so that, that's pretty powerful. So I'm really hoping that at some point it kind of snaps that like the snakes that we love breed and, and, and they produce a lot of eggs. And so maybe we should do just a little bit less of it. Yeah. 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 I, I think when we preached that on here about carpet pythons, it was sort of like, you know, well, who are you to tell me what you, I don't know. My approach has always been, um, I'm only going to breed what I can keep. Right. right? So right. if I breed a clutch and I have to keep the whole clutch for a year, whatever, I mean, a lot of times I, they, they make fun of me and they call it Burke and the clutch because yep. I would hold things back. The whole thing. So yep. long because I want to see how they, you know, they, they, they hatch out. You. <laughs> they People hatch have out to be- beg to get babies. Worms, you know? and, and, oh, but, I think it's his own way of driving, you know, scarcity. It's like, Everybody wants the one carpet that Eric Burke will not let you have. It's like, well, hell, <laughs> I mean, now it's great, I really want it. Yeah. It's a great marketing strategy, and I'm not going to lie. It is. That's, yeah, I, it is. I've even talked about the idea of just um, I, I've I've this this whole thing with the slither files and everything. It's really made me realize that like um, I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to post my animals, and I'm going to put all of my time and energy to my Patreon. And outside of that. Um, 
you know, if you message me, I'll have a conversation, but I'm really kind of wanting to be done communicating in Facebook groups. Um, yeah. And, and, and speaking just kind of on that aspect of just like even the market, like the marketability of like, oh, this person is not like this person produces good stuff, but, you know, isn't seen active on social media kind of even drives up that hype of like, you know, but this person's going to sure. give you the time and day. Right. Yeah. Um, right. So absolutely. Like if you're keeping back clutches and then all of a sudden you're like, hey, I'm going to let this one go 18 months old. Right. People are going to mm-hmm. jump on that like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I actually kudos to you. I mean, for you to take a step back and say, like, it's been two years now. And um, because you actually had awareness of the market and saturation, um, I wish 50 percent of people had that insight and awareness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah I don't know I I I want it to be a long term thing you know I I I I think that like I think of like somebody like in our community Nick Mutton's kind of the guy when it comes to carpet pythons and he kind of does this for a living and that's his thing I don't know I I know this might sound uh, beta male ish I guess I don't know but like why am I going to step on his parade he's a friend of mine why would I yeah. you know what I mean like. Uh, why am I doing like, what's the point? Like, it's different if I'm producing something because, oh man, I want it. Like f- we were talking about before you came on, it's like, there's this, this line of carpet pythons that sort of got lost because yeah. people weren't paying attention to it. And, and now we have everything a, else, me and yeah. Owen and this guy, Eric, other Eric, we're, we sort of have a trio going and we're going to try to put them back and it's just normal carpets. There's nothing bound the stripes. Some of them are red, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But to us, they're cool. I don't know. We just love them. And, and we, we want to put them out there so that they're back out into the world again, you know? Right. But they got to some me, that's sort of, an important clutch. But they got some sort of cult status now because <laughs> they're gone. Yeah, so it's, like, it's like... the same thing with locality retics, right? Right. Right. Yeah. You yeah. want what you can't have, I guess. What I guess you can't that's have, no matter it. what it is. Right. So I just want anything that's a wild type. That I can actually trace back to the islands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what I keep that's, doing with more of these wild type collier birds. Yeah. That's what I want. Um, I mm-hmm. just want to be able to actually look at an animal and just know that like, yeah, your descendants are from this part of the world. And I want to see how you behave compared to your supposed, you know, same species from you know, 500 miles away. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys, you know, we were talking about ethics of breeding, right? Do you, do you, well, for you, do you sort of look at the idea of sort of crossing those localities and like where, what, what's your line in the sand to where you sort of look yeah. at that kind of stuff? Everybody's yeah, got one. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I will say this. Um, I, I'm usually a lot more reserved to take a pure locality female to something that is not pure, Right. Um, Mm -hmm. however, as time has gone by, like, let's use the locality, for example, Kalatoa, like two, three years ago, I was very strong headed about like, I will never breed a female Kalatoa to anything else, but a pure Kalatoa. Mm -hmm. Um, but from 2022 to 2023, there was probably like nine clutches of Kalatoas produced. They're already starting to get to the point where they're, they're being produced left and right. Right. So, um, now I, I'm a locality person in general, but I also have this like childlike experiment scientific brain that I have. And I am not Mm -hmm. opposed whatsoever about crossing localities to 
see what phenotypic expressions come out because I have to understand from my standpoint, I'm a purist, right? But I also understand the market and how most people are into morphs, right? Mm -hmm. And now the only way that we are going to make morphs look better is mm -hmm. if we if we selectively breed what that morph is. So morphs, in my opinion, go into mm -hmm. different categories. They're, they're color enhancers, color reducer, pattern enhancer, pattern reducer, or some of them have both that are reduced and enhanced, right? Um, and so what's cool about the locality stuff is you could take a very small locality, breed it to a medium locality, still make a manageable size retic, but create a visually aesthetic animal that no one's really ever seen before that can then make the whole morph game look way better and enhance the morph game, right? Mm -hmm. okay. um, and so that's for buyers and for people to do in terms of like locality crosses to use to make their morphs look better. The few morphs that I work with, I'm just using pure localities to make look better, but I don't have really anything too much against um, taking different localities. And maybe if Indonesia decided to pool in Australia and mm -hmm. have 10 different subspecies, I would feel differently. Right. But as of right now, we have Maleopython reticulatus, we have Jampionis, and we have Saputriae. Right. And so we, we're not working with a lot. And these are right. for hundreds yeah. of islands, thousands of islands of retics. So, um, yeah, for me, I, I, I don't... Um, uh, like, for example... In the retake game, I don't mind because um, taking a let's say a, a you know a, a, a Homahera locality retic, super dark, mm -hmm. chocolatey mm -hmm. browns, black, beautiful animal, and then taking it to a Kalatoa that's known for being small, that lacks black, that lacks color, it's silver and brown basically, um, mm -hmm. is going to create an animal that is smaller than a Homahera but way better looking than a Kalatoa, right? <laughs> but but as a green tree python lover, like obsessed, and I've read the complete Chondro 100,000 times, right. um, I, am okay. way, I am way more plugged in to, the, to the, the Chondro groups on Facebook than anyone realizes. Like, I've been right. a stalker for 10 years. Right. Um, I know my shit when it comes to green tree pythons. I would never in a million years dream of, of taking an Amaru uh, uh, or... Uh, a route to a uh, Maruk or to a like that's mm. not something I would ever do, right. and I don't know why it's any different. You know, to to take a a, a Maruk or Maruke or however people call it to a wherever makes you feel good, yeah, right. <laughs> to to a designer, like go for it if you're into the designer stuff. But like, if I had a pair of Aru and I had a per, pair of uh, a Maruk, I, I, I'm not crossing them. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. I was just gonna say I don't know why. For me internally, it's different with retics than than chondros, but I don't know. I think, uh, you know, I, I think the difference between the carpets and the chondros, right, is that you know chondros sort of like they had these chondros and they came in and they bred them, right, and they put them together. And at the time, there was sort of like they were all green trees, mm -hmm. and the more and more work was done, and they separated them out. Now there's two species. And they said they did some more work, and now there's oh wait, there's there's a couple subspecies, and there's a couple of things, but too little, too late. 
that 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 ship has sailed. So I think in the in the Chondro world, they sort of don't look at they they sort of look at us as like a little bit nerdier on the carpet python side because you know we're dealing with that's really else. nerdy. By the way, if a Chondro yeah. keeper is saying that. The carpet keepers are more nerdy. That's really nerdy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 But I think we're more focused on not breeding that stuff because we are never getting nothing. You know, it's never coming. In my lifetime, it's probably not going to come, right? Very rarely yeah. we get these little ones that pop out, you know, whatever, from the hole Sm- in Germany or whatever. Smuggling, <laughs> like, like smugglers that got caught in. But they're just not coming. Yeah. So, like, no. you only have what you have. That's it. That's all you got. So yeah. if you go and you cross everything, then you sort of have this muddied up gene pool, sort of like what we're looking at the chondros, right? They sort of like they had the same thing. And it's like, well, we don't want to be in that spot. But like, you know, I I think that's why they sort of just like at least the people that I know, they sort of like they don't they do do localities and they're in little localities. But a lot of the people just sort of like focus on the designers and just making a pretty snake. Right. And you right. find your flavor. And that's where you go. And I it's will just, say with retics, um, you know, the the mixing of locality and muddling up and, and making it very muddy happened even before the importation ban stopped. It wasn't until the importation mm-hmm. ban in 2014, 2015, where people actually were like, oh, let's now decide to preserve them when 75% of the stuff that's out there, we can't even identify as pure locality. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and, and so now, now we see ourselves, you know, definitely wanting to keep true to preserving uh, i even hate using the word you know preserving because right. uh, I, I, that that gives the impression that we the, you know that the majority give a shit and majority don't but right. yeah, um, yeah but it it's um we we've had to um we've had to to try to uh redo damage done from the 90s and 2000s and so um i guess from my aspect it's like I, I have the animals I need to produce pures, and I also have the animals I need that if I want to have some fun and cross them up, it's going to be done intentionally. It's not just right. because, sure. right? So, um, y- you know, my frustration is when it comes to people that are like, uh, you know, that 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 secretly, knowingly have the unidentified superdwarf and breed it to a Kalatoa and want to call things a Kalatoa. That, yeah. That's mm-hmm. where the big issue in Superdorf and Dorf retakes come from is really just being able to identify what is actually legit and what's what's not. And something that I'll share on here um, that a lot of people in the retake community are probably going to be hearing for the first time, but there's a very infamous line of TK Kalatoa Superdorfs. Um, mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times that when you look up the information and lineage of these animals is, is they were once called Superdorf because – Island locality tracking wasn't a thing, and then all of a sudden, one day, the TK guy decided to just start calling them Kalatoa because that was popular. Um, oh, God. And I can't tell you how many of these t- TK Kalatoas look like Madu or Honey right. Islands, right? right? And so it's like, mm-hmm. eh. You know, so that's why I, you know, I have a TK Kalatoa male, but, um, you know, in, in terms of, like, my pure stuff of pure Kalatoas, it's a line that I established from Wild Cots and... uh if I if I get any other Kaltos to make pure Kaltos, it's going to be other lines. But um, that that's the big hang up in Superdorf right now is if people are actually having what they have, right? Mm-hmm. So more of a misrepresent 
Oh yeah, you, you know, then yeah. you have a mainland-sized snake that was promised to be. Well, you well, know, well, well, not even like I mean, there's there's definitely that, but also in the idea of like, um, there's there's incentive for people to lie to call their stuff pure locality superdorf, like a Kautoa, Madu, Karampa, or Kaiwati, because you know you can sell a like. Just a year and a half ago, I was selling a, a pure Kalatoa females for 3K, males for 2Ks, pairs for 4Ks. And that's even on the like mid to lower end. Like there's some people that are charging 5K for females and they'll get it. Um, I also just believe in not ripping people off. But anyways, yeah. um, right. but, but aside from that is you take that same animal and it's just a pure Superdorf unknown locality. And that animal is only worth 1500 Right. So yeah. people have incentive to lie about the right. lineage and information. I think that's yeah. true across the board. I mean, yeah. carpet carpet people have incentive to lie. We had that back when, uh, what is it? Somebody bred a carpet to a Maclots and they were like, oh, look at this crazy morph. It's like, yeah, well, it looked like a weird colored carpet python. And the incentive to lie was always there just to say that it's pure, just to get... Get why it gone. Let the snake right. produce eggs for me. I don't. Gee, get I it. wonder why. It's like, yeah, I, the incentive to lie is all over the place in the reptile community. I mean, <laughs> yeah. right? You, it was the. There's always the rumor whenever there's like a line of snakes that just doesn't do well. It's like, well, that's because the person who started it turned the incubator up a little bit higher to <laughs> right. cook them all, so he'd be the only guy that got. It. It's like, all right, well, right. or it's a it's a crappy gene like yeah it's i don't know have we talked about ethics <laughs> I, I don't they keep saying that word and i'm trying to figure out yeah. where the hell it's from but right. yeah but <laughs> let's switch gears for a second i guess yeah. this has to do with ethics but like uh, i want to talk about the retic lounge and um yes i think you know one of the things that we struggled with here with Marilla Python Radio was the sort of like I think maybe what you struggle with with guys like Jay Brewer who's sort of the you know the mainstream forefront mm -hmm. maybe not the retic forefront but the the person that people are looking at when they see you know uh, snake tubes or whatever you know yeah that's probably <laughs> a word um, but uh, definitely not ethical in my opinion when it comes to breeding retics but um, you know. I, I love what you guys are doing and as far as like trying to get the correct information out, maybe, you know, and, and, and trying to get people on that, uh, the, you know, know the information and get out there and share it. And, you know, um, I just see a lot of like the same type of thing, like me, you know, and we weren't really, we're just starting out when we sort of were doing this. And I mm -hmm. think you guys talk about that a lot to where it's like, you're, you don't claim to be the experts. You just get the experts on to talk <laughs> to you and, you know, you know right. that kind of thing. Right. So like, maybe, I don't know, how did that come about? And like, what's, what's the whole deal with the retic lounge? Yeah. Um, with our tiny little 600 subscribers, I'm super proud of it. Um, so <laughs> this, this was something that, um, Oh man. Okay. So I, I, I want to, I'm going to hold the whole Jay Brewer and kind of trying to fight against that. And my, my thoughts of that, I'm going to hold that in the air while I talk about just kind of where the retake lounge came from and then gotcha. I'll, I'll, I'll address that. But, right. um, all right. So I am, I tell people I'm the most introverted extrovert that they'll ever meet. Meaning that I, <laughs> I love social connection, but I also don't like to just throw myself out there. Um, right. mm -hmm. and so, uh, as I have been, so I, I, 
again, my first retake was in 2018, but I was plugged into retakes very early on and uh, learned a lot of my stuff on on YouTube. And um, as I was keeping retakes, I was hearing um, multiple different ways, things that worked, things that didn't work. But but what I realized after my first couple breeding seasons is that um, there wasn't a place. Uh, there, there was kind of a gap to be filled. And this gap was um, experiential information that was geared towards individuals that were new at keeping or have been keeping mm-hmm. but want to get into breeding. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And I think the the appeal of like the, the whole approach of like I'm not an expert and my co-host Nathan Katz is not an expert is it allows it to be more of a down-to-earth type of vibe. Where people mm-hmm. can openly discuss what they've done, their mistakes, and and um, ultimately, we were trying to build a community where people could feel free to learn. And right. as far as I'm concerned, in the retic world, if you look on a podcast platform or on YouTube, um, there are very, very few actually like informative and and honest. Right, like honest, even if it hurts business, mm-hmm. um, platforms out there. Um, I'll throw one out there. Reach Out Reptiles um, has a great platform for people that are. I mean, that's that's essentially his marketing strategy is getting people to understand mm-hmm. that retakes can be a manageable size, and he's getting people, and, and he does these quick ten minute long videos uh, that have demonstrations, and it's it's productive and looks beautiful. Um, but you're hearing it from a guy who has a reputation of being the source of like, you know, he's the God of superdors, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like, I, I thought of like having a podcast, but I just never had the balls to do it. And then one day I was just like, all right, I'm going to ask someone and I, and I hit up Nathan and Nathan was, um, he's like, yeah, I'm down. And Nathan was kind of like me and him were kind of on that level together, new at breeding, haven't been keeping for a long period of time. And we made it a very good point to make sure that this was something that was um, a collection of information that we have learned and we are presenting or our experiences in regards to what we're doing, but ultimately just providing a community in place for new keepers and breeders to uh connect and share their experiences. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, I've, I, 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 for me, like me more than Nathan, Nathan is like, I don't care about followers, likes, subscribers, things like that. I, mm-hmm. I am, I'm the opposite. I kind of want to see those numbers increase, not because I want to be a YouTuber, but because I want the information to be more accessible and I want the algorithms to actually show up on YouTube. Sure. Um, <laughs> for people to actually to listen, people. right. Yeah. Um, but, because every other retic podcast that was out there was was all interviews, right? Tell me where you're mm-hmm. from. Tell me when you got into retics. Tell me what you love to do, and let's just shoot the shit. And it's like right. you can. Mm-hmm. There's bits and pieces of those podcasts that you can really hold in and gather information, but none of it was actually informative base. Right. Um, right. And I asked Nathan when I talked to him. I said, "Hey, like now that we've had an idea of like." what the retake lounge, what we want it to be like. I, I was trying to get the idea of like, I wish this stuff was available for me when I was new. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, instead of having to actually, uh, you know, I'm happy for the mentors that I've had and, and being able to talk to people, but, um, yeah, if this, if this information's available for new keepers and breeders, we, why not? Right. So we, we jumped in, mm-hmm. we started it and, um, we're almost a year in, I think our, our first episode launched August 21st or 22nd. And, uh, around this time last year, we were recording several episodes like to have in the bank because we thought that we weren't going to be able to keep up with the weekly <laughs> post. Um, yeah. Which by the way, kudos to you guys for just the longevity aspect of this, because now that I'm in almost a year, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a lot of sacrifice and time. My wife right now is about to get home from work. And I told her like, Hey, I'm going to be on a guest on a podcast. And she's like, more snake shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I am, uh, now that I actually know what it takes to get into it, like people like you that I've been listening to for, for several years now, it's like, damn, like this, this is pretty crazy to, to, you know, we're just going on a year and I feel super accomplished, let alone these people that have been going for a decade. But, um, <laughs> Any 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 day now we're gonna quit. Like I'm waiting for it. Like you know we keep it's, we keep it's, pushing. It's, it's like, well we deserved to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Any any day now. Any day now, Eric's gonna um, be like, and we're done. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of just what the retail lounge was geared towards, and um, we've had a lot of positive feedback. Like the we we haven't had any negative. I mean, there's maybe been like less than a handful of negative comments and things like that, but um, right. Mm. Where I feel like we're really struggling to reach is, um, again, egos play a part, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when you have these two noobs talking about topics that they don't have too much experience with, um, it creates a little hate and it creates attention and it creates, uh, yep. um, I don't know, like, I mean, should you have been doing this if you're that pissed off that I'm doing it? Like, <laughs> right. Um, but at, but at the same time, um, this this uh, I mean we've grown to to at most I think we had sixty five uh, Patreon members. We're at sixty two or sixty three right now. We have an amazing community, um, and uh, I didn't think that. So like the subscribers aren't there, the views aren't there, but like the community that we're building off to the side, which is really what our goal was. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a good amount of people. I was not expecting to have 63 plus, you know, Patreon members, uh, to follow two people that really are still trying to figure out what the hell we're doing. Um, and, uh, it's been nice. Yeah. It's funny. Me and Owen can relate to that too. Like we got Mm -hmm. a lot of hate in the beginning because they're like, why are these guys doing it? And I was like, well, you did it. (laughs) You did it. So here we are, (laughs) you know? Um, Uh, and, and I want to thank Nathan. Like Nathan pushed me to turn it into a video format because um, I talked to him and I was very strong headed and like, I just want to do a podcast, mm-hmm. like a, an audio podcast. He's like, we got to do video. And I'm like, I don't want to do video. And he's and I was like, fine, we'll give it a shot. I edit all this bullshit. So I was like, more work for me. <laughs> um, and uh, so... <laughs> But but I I can't thank him enough for for pushing me out of my comfort zone to to doing that because I didn't think that you know now when I go back and I look at the episodes and I I'll, I'll post clips and things like that like 
not a big deal that my face is on camera. Um, right. mm. But like before I was like, I don't, I didn't care for that. Like I just wanted yeah. to be informative content. And if it's just informative content, why the hell do people why need, do you to, need see to see me, me? on camera? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hundred percent. Right. But, but that's just where we are right now in terms of receiving information. And, uh, fortunately for a lot of our episodes, it's, uh, it can be entertaining. We have fun with each other. Um, you know, having a co-host, um, and, uh, being a co-host with someone, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a challenge at times to, to find times and schedules and agreements and, and, uh, but, but yeah, I, I just, um, if, if there's anything that like, I, I would give up a lot and stop doing a lot before I stopped doing the retake lounge. Yeah, yeah, ditto. That's <laughs> another reason why I cut the oh, it, down. You know, drop of a hat, I will ditch NPR. Like, oh my god, <laughs> oh, I have I have one more bad Wednesday. I'm out of here. <laughs> oh my god. No, I I, I really did. I really. If I didn't have those contract podcast. obligations. I'd be gone already. But <laughs> yeah, right. I was. Piss poor Quiet negotiating, you. <laughs> young Owen. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I, 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 I really do. I really enjoy what you guys do because, I, I mean, I'm a Python lover. I love all Pythons, and um, you know, it was great to finally have people talking. You know, in, in I guess it's like it's it's teaching me about retics that i wouldn't normally get exposed to right mm-hmm. because you know i'm not i'm not in the retic community per se you know I, I i will see things from time to time and certain people that i am and friends with or whatever they're satellites of you know in that community or whatever but i don't know i i just i I just really liked it, <laughs> you know, yeah. and the Patreon is, is, I mean, the, uh, discord thing that you got going on is really cool. I, I'd like look in there and I'm like, wow, this is, this is really cool. You know? It's active, um, right? It's almost overwhelming. Yeah. 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 Um, like, holy shit, 25 unread messages. Right. Um, yeah, no, we have a great Patreon group and I mean, I, I, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just good to hear from, from you saying that considering how long you guys have been doing this and, uh, uh, it's, we're just trying to be honest and give a realistic standpoint of what it's like to keep a retake, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. Um, because Mm -hmm. the last thing that I want is for people to have a fairy tale picture of what it's like to have a retake or a super dwarf retake or whatever, and just be overwhelmed and scared of that animal. Right. Like that. And that's the reality for some people. Um, so, Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of mainstream stuff in the Superdorf community about certain sizes and them being this small and this big. And, and, you know, there's, there's videos on YouTube from big YouTube people mm-hmm. that they make great pets and, um, yeah, yeah. We're, mm-hmm. we're just here to, we're here to give you both sides. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Cool. Yeah. And as far as the whole J thing, um, and how we're trying to combat that, um, I mean, to be honest, it's not even a thing because if, if we're going to be objective, if we're going to sit back and we're going to look at the people who actually provide views and comments and entertainment for Jay's uh, videos or for any clickbaity or mm-hmm. uh, videos mm-hmm. that basically portray our hobby in a negative way, mm-hmm. um, because let me tell you, I have never once been bit or struck by a female pulling a clutch of eggs. 
Right. But, mm-hmm. but most people would tell you that shit, don't pull a clutch of eggs from retakes because they'll kill you, right? Because of what they see online. Um, and what I've had to sit back and I've had to realize is it's a battle that can't be. So if you look at the people who are actually viewing it and giving it attention, mm-hmm. it's not us. It's not the right. retake community. Right. And it's right. not the reptile industry. Um, it's the general public. And mm-hmm. I had to come to the realization, and uh, I think we all need to at some point, but yeah. none of us are going to have a conversation of Jay and tell him to stop doing what he's doing. He's going to listen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or, yeah. or anybody else that is doing that for views and for, for, uh, for, for essentially for money because, you know, yeah. the views and the Why? followers, it all turns into an income. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If if Jay lost his ability to receive income via YouTube and all his other social media platforms, he'd have to shut everything down. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. he's going to do what he does to make successful. And so um, I'm not here to try to, uh, uh, you know, the, the retake lounge in general or just I think the industry needs to hop on board in the sense of like, Let's keep pushing good information out for the people that want to receive the good information because at the end of the day, uh, people have tried to get Jade to stop. And guess what? He's about to have a reality TV show. Like, yeah. yeah. So, so that didn't work. So, so clearly we've been doing well. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So so um, what we need to do is just combat that uh, attention-driven uh, uh, animal keeping, you know, videos that are out there and just really provide, uh, wholesome content. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I, that, that really rang true with me there for a second that it's like a different community. I think like, I'm always thinking in terms of like, cause you know, Morelia is kind of a niche part of the reptile hobby. Right. And it's sort of like, you see these more mainstream you know, to your point, like the clickbaity type of stuff and they'll go on and they'll talk about them. And it's like, that's just not right. You know? And it's just like, wow, what are you doing? And I feel, I would always feel like all the work that we're trying to do is getting unraveled by what in mere seconds doing, you know? And it's like, why are they, you know, and I guess maybe, maybe it is a little bit ego. I don't know, but it's sort of like, it's not that I want to, it's not that I'm looking to be the best or us, but we want to get that information out there to the people that, you know, uh, it's going to benefit. Mm-hmm. And they're going to get the correct information, you know, right. and and it's it's frustrating when you're trying to do it the right way and you can't get the views or the clicks or the this or the that. And it is. you have somebody else that comes along and, you know, but I guess that's just something you just have to come to grips with. And yeah. Just accept yeah. that, you know, this is my community and I'm fine with that, you know? Right. And yeah. that's essentially what we're trying to build. And, uh, you know, Nathan would definitely be a hundred percent on board with that statement. For me, I'm still wanting more views and clicks and, and, and people <laughs> to be on. And, and, and again, it's not because of, 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 you know, again, the last thing that I want is to be an influencer or a YouTuber. Right. right? Yeah. I just, I just want the information out there. But, um, but what really sucks about, you know, the, the infamacy that people like Jay or, um, you know, I, and I'm going to say this kind of cautiously, but, um, like nerd, for example, like Kevin McCurley as an individual, Mm probably by far the most experienced, intelligent understanding of retics 
of anybody out there, period, right? And he mm-hmm. used to provide so much amazing content that was educational. And unfortunately, with just who he has in the driver's seat right now, things are more clickbaity than usual, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the frustrating part is um, that other communities, other reptile communities, geckos, ball pythons, uh, carpet pythons, chondro keepers, they look at these guys as a way yes. to define mm-hmm. who the hell I am. Correct. Right? And that, that's right. the frustrating part is like I, I promise you that like everybody in the retic industry that's actually a breeder and who's been around for a good deal um, wants Jay to stop. Mm-hmm. Like we, we – man, we have been trying so many different ways. Um, and it just – it's – it's a, it's a battle that you can't win because he has free autonomy. And I mean, that's a beautiful thing about America, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, is free will, capitalism, right? All this good stuff that makes people able to do what they want to do and they do it mm-hmm. well. And that's what gets attention. But I just want to be a, a source right now on your guys' platform to make sure that people understand that I promise you, like 90% of the community do not side with and agree and promote that kind of stuff like we are against it and so that is not who we are that Mm -hmm. is just who the handful of people are that just get the most attention right right i guess we just got to keep plugging away man that's all yeah (laughs) little by little and hopefully we make an impact right Uh, just chip away until it wakes down um we were kind of you mentioned it a couple times and we were talking about the good the bad and the ugly of uh the community um uh can you give us a little insight of how you got involved with the current situation with um Samson Pruitt yeah and all that stuff that was going on there yeah um first and foremost um with Samson Pruitt and with the Slither Files and Slither Incorporator or Slither Exotics or Casabel, his wife, who is, mm-hmm. you know, who has 60,000 something followers. Um, so it, it's, it's discussing the things that have happened. And for those of you that aren't aware, there's been, uh, I, I gained access uh, from multiple employees of, of over 200 pictures and videos and statements of, uh, true animal neglect, abuse, maltreatment, just things that you probably couldn't envision as a reptile lover in your nightmares. Um, it was, it was bad. It, it's bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, um, so long story short in terms of just the very early routes is unfortunately before I even bought my first retake and my first retake was from Samson Pruitt. Um, mm. he was kind of a mentor very early on he was uh, for for any of you that that know him um or or don't he's a very very much a narcissist he's a smooth talker um this this greater than life mentality and what he has a phenomenal ability to do is take young individuals or people that are new in an industry provide them hope clarity a vision promises all this bullshit um to make you feel like you got someone good in your corner. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of fell into that and uh, got my first snake from him. Um, 
And then I started hearing chirps as I started connecting more in Facebook with other people and about his, you know, dog fighting, the truth of that, all that stuff. Um, yeah. And uh, distance myself. And um, I, I made a public post on why I broke a Facebook Messenger breeder agreement with him. Again, this was the first snake I ever got from him that we did a a breeder. So I bought the animal for from him from fifty percent and and uh, would send the first two clutches over to him, and we would split those clutches fifty fifty. Right. Okay. So this kind of breeder loan breeder program. So instead of spending fifteen hundred mm-hmm. as as a broke just out of college person, he gave me the opportunity to get my dream Superdorf animal for seven fifty for half off. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As I started learning more and more about his reputation, behavior, owing people tens of twenties, thirties, forties, thousands of dollars on feeders and different things. Jesus. Cle- clearly at that point, as I was much more plugged in and informed, was like, okay, business wise, mm-hmm. probably not a good decision to send him all the animals I just <laughs> produce because I probably won't see that money and I'll just be another one of those people he owes money to. Right. Um, so he messaged me when I first bred that female and he's like, hey, why didn't you message me about uh, the mail to use and you know remember all this stuff? And this was already when I had checked out and was like, this isn't happening, but I just hadn't informed him yet. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, I, that's when I, when he messaged me, I told him, I was like, you know, call me on the phone. We'll talk about it. He refused to call me. He wanted proof hmm. of the conversation. And that's when I, I was like, I'm not, if anyone has engaged with conversation with Samson online via messenger, he's a bully. He harasses you. Hmm. He manipulates things. He's, he's a pain in the ass to talk to on messenger. And so I was like, not doing it. Call me or we're not talking. We didn't talk on the phone, and uh, he continued to threaten me about making it public, blah, blah, blah. So I decided to get ahead of the game after he threatened me on my birthday in 2022. Uh, And I was like, you know what? Screw it. If this guy's going to do it, I'm just going to throw it all out there. Mm -hmm. I I provided everyone the information, the screenshots of the lying, the deceiving, all the bullshit that he put uh, put me through, and I decided to... uh, uh, that happened and I got contacted by several different people about information uh, and was sent a, a handful of photos in regards to the mm-hmm. neglect, kind of the beginning of the Slither Files back in December of 2022. But it mm-hmm. wasn't indisputable evidence for me to say that this is Samson Pruitt's uh, animals, right? There was okay, nothing right. that could prove that. Um mm-hmm. And this person who sent me the pictures was supposed to send me like 50 more. Um, mm-hmm. But for their own reason and fears of threats that they received from Samson, just kind of stopped talking to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's when I started reaching out. And uh, I I remembered back in uh, just some of the people that I made connections with that worked for him. And uh, I can't remember if they reach out to me or I reach out to them, but um, they told me like, hey, I have so much information on abuse, neglect, blah, blah, blah. And after I received those handful of pictures, um, I kind of was like, 
I need to pursue this shit. And not just because I'm, mm. I'm pissed off that he, he was a dickhead, but because <clears> like, I did not imagine the type of neglect that he was doing in the pictures that I saw. And I was like, this needs to be told. Um, mm. and so, uh, after convincing and finding a very cryptic way of just like this person, I had to convince them to send me a thumbnail drive through the mail. Okay. Um, because wow. they didn't, they didn't want an electronic track. They didn't want to send me an email. They didn't want to do a Dropbox. They didn't want to do anything mm-hmm. that would have their email involved. Um, they did it and they gathered information and pictures from three different employees. And, uh, I received that information April 22nd of 2023. Right. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, I got a hold of that information. I started doing behind the work scenes. I worked with Phil at US Arc. I worked, uh, I send all the information to Darian. Um, I did, I was very scared to go public at first. I mean, I don't know what the hell to do with this information. Mm-hmm. I'm a large constrictor keeper who our rights are being right. You know, uh, uh, constantly under fire, constantly like, under fire. I'm like, yeah. let me like try to consult with some people first before I decide to be a dickhead and just like post them everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was able to, uh, I, I gathered some insight and direction from Phil. Phil from US Arc was supposed to go one way, but he stopped reaching out to me. So at one point, I was like, this needs to go public because. Mm-hmm. What a lot of people don't understand is that I received the pictures in April that provided me the substantial evidence and proof, and he moved locations. He was starting back in like October of 2022, but finished off and was fully moved in January of 2023. And so Mm. one thing that people have to realize is, is it doesn't take someone who has to be a genius to realize if you have neglected, like disgusting animals, you're not going to move them to a new facility. No. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so the, the ability to get law enforcement and things involved, it just wasn't going to happen. So I was like, I'm going public because the only way that we're going to bring this to people's eyes and, and, and try to get him quote unquote canceled is to finally let people see everything for what it is. So yeah, I use Rodney as a platform to get the information out because anybody who's listening that's a retic keeper or breeder understands that. Uh, Rodney is seen as a dickhead. He's super intelligent. He knows mm-hmm. retakes more than anybody. Um, he has an online persona that is very different than who he is. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that online persona gets attention. Yeah. So I gave some images to Rodney, had him do a hype video. We released all the images. We did an interview with the ex employee and, um, we, we started getting the information out there. Then we started getting backlash mm-hmm. or why didn't you do anything? Why was it law enforcement? And they did, they just didn't understand the timeline of events and everything that I was doing behind the scenes with Phil to try to right. get law enforcement involved. But we basically hit a dead end where if what was in the pictures wasn't happening right now at a brand new facility. What's the point? We weren't right. gonna, there's we, not, there's no evidence. Yeah. We, we weren't going to get him. Um, right. let alone the fact that animal control went over to the North Carolina facility and he was able to smooth talk his way to get them to believe that this was normal. 
Oh my that, god! That's from Jesus, that's from, Jesus that's from, Christ. That's a statement from multiple employees that have said that that were there walking with animal control, and animal control left with decaying smell in their noses, with the belief that this was typical. Wow! Come on. So I I sent the pictures over to Weston Warner of Wildfire Retics. He decided to create a website and link a bunch of different domains with Samson's name and Slither Inc. and we have the Slither files, and basically what we are trying to do is just continue to spread awareness of what this guy is doing. Just about everybody that that is – every show has basically, as a result of seeing this, has banned him besides Repticon. Repticon actually made a statement that they replied to an email um, yesterday basically stating that unless there is legal action – currently being taken that they wouldn't do anything which a lot of people were not very surprised with because of their their but 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 i was pretty shocked with reticon's reply and statement in regards to we'll continue to let him do it if the animals pass the inspection and there's no legal action being taken despite the insurmountable amount of proof that they uh that they were given so Wow. That that's the only show that has not flat out other than like the really small ones, but even yeah. Hamburg banned them. Yeah, right? Hamburg yeah. and and uh, I used to see him set up at Oaks. Yeah. Yep. Um, there was another small show, and I think Ozone Reptiles or Ozark or oh man, I don't know the name, but I gave them the information two and a half weeks prior to uh, one of their shows that he was vending. They were another one that decided to like, eh, well, if he passes the vet inspection, right, um, then he can stay. And, you know, they tried backpedaling and they're like, we don't condone this. But and I'm like, well, you know, if you're going to have him vent there after everything I just sent to you, uh, mm-hmm. you yeah, kind of you do. You're kind of OK with it. Yeah. So where we're at with that is. um want to continue to get the word out there. The biggest concern that I have is just making sure that people make the connection with his wife, who he groomed at 17 years old, by the way, which is when they first started dating when he was probably already in his forties. Um, Oh God. Yeah. So that he groomed. um, So trying to make the connection between her and him, because she has a massive following. I'm talking about 60 K plus followers on, on TikTok and, that's that's the big next push is trying to to elicit that, but um, this is a great example of what self policing needs to do in order to get people out of an industry because right now we don't have the ability to get him locked up. Well, and that's and that's always the thing is that we we like to say in the reptile community that we police ourselves and we like to push out the bad apples, but I have yet to yep. see that ever happen. I mean. Something happens, they blow up, they maybe move or they change their name or they disappear for a little bit. But there's always people that kind of come out of the woodworks. And and I remember when you guys went public with the video, I did check out uh, Samson's Facebook page and there were people coming to his defense and calling you guys the what was the thing I sent you, Eric? It's like when all these do-gooders are finally out of the hobby, we can get back to 
the way it was. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, what is wrong with this? Like, yeah. the do-gooders. Yes, the people against animal abuse. How right. dare they? Like, it. I, so, my mind was blown, man. This is one of those exa- – I, I want you guys to realize, like, once I obtained this information, I was like, okay, well, shit. I'm either going to burn or I'm just going to – like, I, I had to take a step back and realize, like, this is going to hurt me. But yeah. at the same time, like, I followed my – like you gotta understand, I've been I've been in the industry very little, and mm-hmm. I and I'm and I'm putting out information that's going after one of the largest retic breeders in the entire world. Yeah. Um, and so uh, to be honest, it's going much better than I thought. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I just I knew that I was like, you know what? If I'm going to say this is about the animals and not about what I'm I'm making and my reputation, then it's got to be done. Like, yeah, because I, I, I was very, re- you know, I had some sleepless nights in regards to the information I had and what I was going to do. And, um, yeah. I'm, I'm happy with the choice that I made and, uh, very, very disappointed in the retail community. I, I, I see more action from ball Python keepers, from other reptile communities, sharing the shit all over the place. And, Retake breeders are silent. And what yes. that tells me is very scary stuff. Like what that tells me is that if 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 Garrett Hartle can't make a statement, if Jay Brewer can't make a statement, if Bob Clark can't make a statement, if if all these big retake people can't make a statement about like very clear, cut, dry, animal neglect retick neglect and abuse why yeah i think uh part of the conversations that we were having when this was all going down was i said to owen i said number one i would hope that i would have the courage to do what you did right Mm -hmm. to come out to be that be the person that's you know you're taking a chance of of what's going to happen and how it's going to go it's a lot of faith in the reptile yeah. community with that one. I mean, which, which th- is, which is ballsy as hell because the reptile <laughs> I mean, community dear sucks. God, dude. <laughs> like, I, I, two, yeah. to your point, I'm like, I can't believe that Garrett hasn't said anything. Like we know Garrett from when he came to the carpet yeah. fest and, yeah. you know, like we've seen him at shows and stuff like that. And like, I'm just like, okay, I guess Jay, I can understand. Right, because he's in the Owen, same boat. Yeah, and I'm saying, no, I mean, Owen, exactly. I'm, like, I'm saying to Owen, like, wouldn't, like, if if something like this happened in the carpet python world or the Morelia world, we would be we'd have to be first in line. Drum, we had to be like, first in line. This is not acceptable. Yeah, right. you know what I mean. Like, I don't care if it was somebody it, that I knew. I don't care if it was whoever, because at the end matter. of the day, to the point, right? If it's about the animals, then it's about the animals. We, don't talk bullshit. If you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to back it up. You have to be there. Otherwise, you're a hypocrite. Or what are you so afraid of? Because I guess if the facility is large enough, what's going on with your stuff that you don't want people to find out about? Right. Yeah. And that, and that's the scary part. And and I think Mm -hmm. where a lot of people are scared is is Samson Pruitt. Um. Tinta Brute recorded a conversation with Garrett Hartle, and when that information was released for a very brief moment until Santa Brute realized, like, oh, shit, this is illegal, 
um, and took it off of social media. Um, Jesus. I, I think that's really shown people that, like, like, I think people are scared of the whiplash that might happen if they speak out against this because of their affiliation and ties with Slither. And yeah. Um, yeah. so... Um, that's why I say vote I, with your dollar, man. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and vote, dude, vote with your dollar is something that Garrett has preached and is something that is totally true, but um, that's that's essentially what we are trying to do. And um, there's been a lot of people that have talked about, like, what about the animals? What are we going to do with them? Mm-hmm. And, like, that empathy and that compassion for the animals' well-being is, like, I, I, I'm right there with you. But at the same time, when you look at the pictures of his collection um, and the disease-ridden animals and the decay and the neglect and viruses that you can clearly see on the scales of these animals, um, we can't save them. At at this point, it would be so much more honoring to their life to just, you know, if if we could ethically find a way to put them down, um, then to try to find homes or spread this, this huge collection to all of a sudden all over the country with who knows what it's infested with. Um, and it's just, uh, I mean, to be honest, it's a situation that like no one ever wants to be in. Like I hate, I hate that. Like this dude that originally reached out to me, sent me these photos and I was just like, damn it. Like now I need to, right. I need to see if there's more. And I found out and there was more. And, um, the entire situation is just totally, uh, yeah, just disgusting. And, uh, it's unfortunate that it's going on, but, um, I, I just want to, if I can give a message out is don't be complacent. Don't let this fizzle and die down. Let this like anybody who like, I want this to be something where a podcast every single week for the next year is covering yeah. because mm-hmm. the more people that are aware, the, 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 the harder it is going to be for these people to stay in business. Yeah. hundred percent. Kudos to you, man. Kudos yeah. to you. Yeah. <laughs> the shit sucks. Definitely. Yeah. I, oh yeah. No, no, no. I, it's, but I don't envy you, but yeah, but, but I appreciate I it very much. Appreciate you. Yeah, it's, it's it's the very first time where I've seen people and uh, I've, I've seen people publicly speaking negatively about me. It's my first experience of that, and I was like, yeah, I didn't think I'd ever get to that level. But I guess if I, you know, I put this information out there, I I, I knew what was gonna, you know, positive and negatives. And uh, uh, someone once told me that if. If you have people that are hating on you and you know that you're doing the right thing, then it's probably people that you don't want to associate with. Anyway. Right. Without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. I think that's what uh, Nick told us our first season. If you have haters, you're doing it right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, the amount of people in the retail community that I've actually stood by and made addresses that kind of like defended him in a way i'm friends all these things like it's um one thing that this is doing in a positive way um even if i have to be a target and i get blown out of proportion but uh, again back to what i said earlier people are starting to realize overproduction is not okay animal neglect and abuse is not okay 
they're starting to see the people that are holding their true colors and why they haven't made statements or why they're trying to defend him. And those people are starting to slowly be weeded out. So um, this was way more of a movement than I ever could have imagined. And if we can not let this one just fizzle out like the rest of the bullshit, then this one can actually Mm -hmm. have permanent change. Yeah. 100%. All right, Owen. And just so on we, a positive we'll note. We'll end to a positive <laughs> note. All right. Yeah. Mm. All right. Positive one would be, is there a species that you regret passing on in your herp career? Yeah, 100%. Green tree pythons. I'm, like I said, I'm bound. <laughs> yeah, but you're going to fix the, that. No, I'm, ba- yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting my first. But, like, if I could have gone back in time six years ago, yeah, mm. man, I, I freaking, I mean, how popping they are right now, like, yes. Yeah. So you get um, one so from Bill, Bill. Stiegel? You go. You went Bill nice. Stiegel for your first I green tree I went Cenosis uh, to a, a sickness. Cenosis to Jaeger. Nice. Uh, okay. All right. Nice. Yeah. Red yeah. hat. Red yeah. hatchling. I think I'm like second or third on the red hatchling list. So, um, Just, I'm you know, that's gonna be, that's call nice them thing. up and say that you have our official approval now, and you might get bumped. <laughs> there you like go. You might. You might get. You might move you up the list. You might get or, second red. Yeah, yeah might move mm. you down. Yeah. Or he might knock you down. <laughs> me, and, me and Bill, I've yeah. had some great nights at his place during uh, Arlington, and uh, yeah, I, I, love can't, Bill. I yeah, can't appreciate the guy enough. Yeah, and he's gonna show up at Carpet Fest and then just be like running around your front yard again, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a he's a good time. Um, yeah, he is. He's a he's a time. <laughs> he's a something. Yeah. So so that'll be fun. You can get uh, ushered into the. Do you do you fear that the green tree python will be a gateway drug to get all these retics out of here? I need all the, these green tree pythons. One thousand percent. I I've, again <laughs> okay. my my passion and my true like <laughs> like my favorite reptile in the world is green trees. Always has been. Yeah. Right. Um, so, but but that would be a good thing. Again, yeah. it goes it goes back to space, to time, to 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 the well being of the animals. And so, like if, yeah. if the green trees are, are are a gateway into me getting much smaller animals in good size <laughs> enclosures and getting rid of larger animals, like it is what it is. It's so yeah. Yeah. Very good. Cool. Oh man, Lucas, it's been great. I appreciate yeah, you dude. coming on and taking the time. Um, yeah, thank you so much for uh, for coming and hanging out with us. Uh, yeah, no, this has been one of the most fun I've had on a podcast. I appreciate both of you for for letting me on. Yeah, man. Yeah, well, um, th- throw out information. Yeah, toss it all out there where they can stuff. find you. Yeah, so uh, social media, uh, Instagram is going to be lab underscore exotics underscore. Um, I got a weird snake flask for my symbol. Uh, it's <laughs> black and black and green. Uh, same thing on Facebook, Live Exotics. Um, but more importantly, uh, the Retake Lounge. Uh, we're on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Going to be probably branching out to other platforms as well. But um, yeah, if you guys have any uh, reservations or information that you need to obtain about Retics, the Retake Lounge has you covered. Uh, and it'll be uh, objective, legit information, not a sales pitch. We're not trying to get your business. This is just us sharing our experience and giving it to you guys. So, yeah, very cool. It's a very good podcast, so you should check it out. So cool. All right, man. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, yeah, hopefully uh, 
Can't wait to see that green tree. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll have to have you back on when you when you complete your shift over to Green yeah. Tree Python. I, I, so you can I, talk to I, us about that. I can't wait either. I'm trying to tell Pill. I'm like, dude, tell me what animal I'm getting. Like, let me see this Hatch animal. Them, damn it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thank you. Very cool. All right. So how do we close this thing out, Eric? Or is there a different thing we do now? It's been so long. We don't do that. Oh, no. Okay.